everybody, and welcome to the Boy Howdy Podcast. That's right, it's our time to talk to you about Woo! pop culture garbage. I'm Annie. I'm Bill. Hey, Bill, what you been up to this week, my friend? What? I just watched Interstellar yesterday. For Oh, yeah, I, I still have not seen Interstellar. Do you want to go see Interstellar? Because everyone's totally cooled on that movie. That's kind of how people feel about Christopher Nolan movies in general. There's like this whole hype machine, and then it comes out, and everyone's like, yeah. Well, the thing is, Christopher Nolan... He doesn't necessarily make the best movies. He's not <laughs> terrible. I don't want to suddenly start like this, like, uh, you know, because uh, I'm going to start the Christopher Nolan backlash officially. No, uh, but uh, he's technically a proficient filmmaker, but he's kind of like the new Ridley Scott in that, like, he knows how to make a movie. Not He's not necessarily the best storyteller, or he, he doesn't necessarily, he's not very good with people or characters or dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, he can make a pretty picture. And, yeah. But if it's something that can't be easily relayed through that, like the visual medium, he gets really clumsy. Um, yeah. Interstellar is Christopher Nolan's AI. Steven Spielberg's oh, yeah. AI. I, I, this is kind of like that kind of movie where you can kind of see where they, where they were going, but he got sidetracked yeah. by so much bullshit. You're like, yeah. A, why isn't this movie an hour shorter? Exactly like yeah. AI. And yeah. there's a couple parts where, like, man, if you cut out like this whole section of the movie, like, it actually be a real movie and not just like a goddamn intellectual marathon wank fest but yeah. uh it was i feel like yeah. i feel like a lot of the directors lately have gotten that project their passion project that they really feel strongly about that everyone gets excited about and then it's just kind of a wet fart of yeah movie. which is funny like, because christopher nolan had had the kind of same thing with inception but that he actually managed to pull that off but mm-hmm. this one well what, what's your what were you gonna say about the other directors oh no i was just gonna say that when you everything you just said reminded me of king kong yeah, yeah. kind of like that, too. I'm trying to think of any of their major filmmakers in the last, like, decade or so have actually, you know, their, their pet project turned out to be kind of a wet fart. But, I mean, granted, maybe, I, yeah. maybe with Inception, it was still enough of an, like, he wasn't, he hadn't proved that his passion project could be, I think like, so, he yeah. didn't have as much of a blank check. Yeah, even yeah. if you go back and watch Inception, like, the, the dramatic point of, or the dramatic part of that movie is, is initially the most potent. It's got crazy yeah. visuals and some crazy yeah. ideas, but for, yeah. like, from an emotional connective point of view, it's still kind of sludgy. Um, yeah. But still, it's, 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 it's a really cool movie to watch, though. Interstellar is kind of that in parts, but there's so many cornball... I don't know. Do you know? know do you even know much about Interstellar? Because I didn't even spoil myself. The, like I didn't even try to watch the trailers if I could before I saw I, this. Yeah, I tried to not. I tried not to dip myself too much in Interstellar, but it's kind of the cat's kind of out of the bag at this point. Yeah, exactly. Well, and 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 I would have gotten to see it, but then all the reviews, everyone coming out of that movie was like, "Oh my god, the movie's fucking terrible." And so it's one of those things where if I'd gone in and saw it on launch day without any reviews, I think I would have hated it. No, well, not hated it, but yeah. I think I would have been disappointed like everyone else. But after spending the last week and a half of hearing everyone dog on it, I went in with such low expectations that I was like, I'm actually having a good time watching this movie. And I recognize yeah. it's not necessarily the greatest movie of all time, but I'm like, yeah. I don't regret spending my seven bucks to watch this silly bullshit. So, yeah, yeah so I, once I had my expectations calibrated, I actually had a pretty good time. But yeah. it is a goddamn dopey movie. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, I've heard that the fifth element is love. That's total. that's... That I've heard that I have heard that in association with Interstellar more than I've heard it associated with the Fifth Element. <laughs> That's exactly what it, I mean. This movie is kind of like the, the uh, there's a speech given by Anne Hathaway in the movie that is pretty much she comes this close to tying it up with saying, "P.S. The Fifth Element is love," because she's t- she gives this whole speech about how. Um, 
scientists have uh, figured out that the only thing that can transcend time and space is gravity. And then she like gives this whole speech about that. And then she's like, I think the second thing that can trans- uh, transcend space and gravity and time is love. <laughs> and just like, and like the whole thesis of the movie is kind of built on that, which is funny because it's trying to be the super hardcore scientific space exploration film, but then it's kind of hobbled by this super corny, like really love is the most powerful thing in the galaxy, even more than space and time and gravity. And even then, that that would be okay, but uh, just from a structural perspective, um, so the movie's about a bunch of dudes going off into space trying to find a new planet for the humanity to settle in. Um, the movie is kind of hobbled by the fact that while the dudes are in space, they keep on cutting back to the shit that's going on, uh, on Earth while they're exploring, which really yeah. kind of undercuts the tension and the alienness and the remoteness of what these guys are going through in deep space. Yeah. Uh, if you're constantly coming back to people, like, hanging out, like, it's... So even regardless of, like, the, the fifth element of love is love stuff and everything else, just that structural thing is kind of, like... It kind of yeah. deflates kind of the, the cool spacey stuff. And yeah. I was just on Twitter right before we started recording. I was tweeting about how it would be interesting to see a cut of Interstellar uh, where you take out most of the Earthbound stuff once the people go off into space. And yeah. kind of just see to see the rest of the story from their perspective. Because that might be, I don't know. Yeah. But So you think you might go see it in the theaters? I'll go see it probably when it's seven bucks. You see, should definitely is, see is it that... in theaters though. It's because it's only one. It's like Inception, where like half the point of the movie is seeing it on the big screen because it's got such crazy visuals and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. My wife is so. I, I always go see movies with Mrs. and Mrs. is so not emotionally invested in going to see movies in theaters. Yeah. There really has to be a reason to get her butt in the theater. Yeah. You know. And I'm worried that Interstellar just doesn't have it. So I'll have to wait until, like, it's at a, a second-run theater here in town and go see it with a well, pint of beer. And... It was funny because, like, my housemates are kind of the similar uh, because it, it's, it's like, well, they'll, they'll go out and see movies in the theater, but they tend to see, like, like uh, second-run movies, like Woody Allen movies and stuff like that. They're not really that motivated to go out and see movies in the theater. And I was actually going to skip out on... on on uh, Interstellar altogether in the theater too, just because, like I said, I've heard so many bad reviews. But then yesterday, out of the blue, they were like, "We're thinking about going to see like the one fifteen showing of Interception, or not Interception." I keep now I'm combining Interstellar and Inception. Uh, but they were like, "Hey, we're gonna go see this movie in forty five minutes. You want to come with us?" I was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. What the hell?" And it was it was us and nothing but old people. <laughs> it was a Billy pretty empty olds. theater except for a bunch of old people. Um, Old people love space, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, so, not the anyway, worst movie ever, but, yeah. I'm sorry I had a bad time, Bill. Well, the I only... I'm yeah. trying to think of any media that I consumed this week other than Assassin's Creed Unity. Oh, Chelsea Peretti plays Gina on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And yeah, she had a comedy best, special this week, right? She's she's one of the best parts of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And yeah, her comedy special, One of the Greats, came up on Netflix Oh man, it's it's so it's so great. It's there's some specials that like comedy bits you watch that just stick in your brain and yeah. like like just pop up randomly and it's definitely one of them. One of my favorite parts of it is that she when she talks a little bit about um, strangers on the internet mm-hmm. and her voice she she does the most amazing voices for internet randos <laughs> yeah it's so good uh, comedy you can't describe comedy you always sound like a jackass I highly recommend Chelsea Peretti's special she does this great thing where um, 
you know, when you watch your, a film special, you get, you know, they cut to the audience to show audience reaction. Yeah. But half as many times, rather than an actual audience member, it's like, cut to a man eating a hard-boiled egg. Cut to in some the dog audience? sitting in the audience. <laughs> So it's so. Are they planted? Oh well, it's it's clearly just this other this other filmed bit that they're they're mixed in. Okay, I don't know if she actually planted people in the audience that are just like eating eggs or like painting a painting or something like that. That's like (laughs) ration shots. It's just so she's the lady. She's the lady with the big schnoz who plays like the office manager, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the thing. Uh, There's all the women in. We've talked about. I've talked about this before. All the women in Brooklyn Nine Nine are fucking hilarious. So I could They're I great. would watch stand up yeah. uh, stuff from all of them, but so it was pretty good. So it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Christy Peretti is her name. Chelsea Peretti. Chelsea Called Peretti. One of the greats. I'm gonna put it's her. Oh, time. okay, you did put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. How? Oh my god, I can't believe you replaced Great British Bake Off with Chelsea Peretti's Netflix special in the show notes. Guess what, you guys? I've watched more Great British Bake Off. What, what more is there to say to that? My wife and I continue our fixation. <laughs> you guys are crazy. How far have you gotten now? We've watched all of it. Really? Yeah, we've. We're, so you're just like we're, rewatching we have, episodes now? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, well, we we were watching much. season four a little more closely, and man, we have every episode but the finale. Did, I gave you guys the Masterclass episodes, right, for the yeah, last yeah, season? Yeah, we started yeah. watching Which that Which I still I haven't watched. You know what, the thing, I, I was going to start watching more of the Great, Great British Bake Off, too, but then I got sidetracked. Uh, I saw Netflix just updated with a whole bunch of stuff, and I guess uh, they just, Netflix now has a whole bunch of Food Network stuff, mm. and so they have, um, what the hell is it? It's, uh... I've been watching MasterChef on Hulu. There's a show called MasterChef Junior on Hulu, but on Netflix... Wait, I, I should look at the show notes. Is it Chopped MasterChef Junior Cupcake Wars? Chopped and... Uh, yeah, wait. <laughs> no, I miswrote the show notes. It's supposed to be Chopped MasterChef Junior and Cupcake Wars, but I wrote it as Chopped MasterChef and then Junior Cupcake Wars, which I just imagine a whole bunch of kids with cupcakes beating the shit out of each other. No, so, okay, so Netflix has Chopped... And uh, Cupcake Wars. Hulu yeah. Plus has MasterChef Junior. They're totally different shows. Uh, I'm just saying, if you get bored... Uh, Chopped? I've actually heard about Chopped uh, from Brenna. She's always yeah. raved about Chopped. Do you know yeah, anything about Chopped? Yeah, the podcast, Brenna is big on Chopped. Yeah. But what do you think about Chopped? I have not watched it. I'm not a big fan of cooking shows. I am. It's kind of like, like domesticated pornography for me. Not domesticated, yeah. but maybe domestic pornography? Uh, so Chopped is, the whole format of Chopped is competition cooking show. What it is, you have four people. It's interesting because instead of like the, uh, a whole bunch of the same competitors going throughout the whole season, every episode is unique. They have a whole different batch of competitors with every episode. So it's not like a lot of competition reality shows where you have to get invested in the whole season to understand what the hell's going on. Uh, Chopped is very much one-off. You could just watch an episode and that's the whole story of those competitors. So you have four people. Uh, they are forced to make a three-course meal. Uh, someone gets kicked off after every uh, course in the meal. And so by the last, you have a, was it appetizer, entree, and dessert? And uh-huh. so by the time that, like, comes around to the dessert, you only have two people left. And whoever, you know, makes the best dessert wins that episode. And the other thing is that for every one of those three courses... The competitors are given a basket of very specific ingredients, and they have to use all the ingredients in whatever meal they're making. Like, one of the desserts was they, they gave the competitors a basket of, like, frozen pancakes, sriracha, canned shrimp, 
and like whipped cream or something like that and they had to like use all these elements in some fashion even if it was just to take the canned shrimp and use the syrup from the canned shrimp as like some kind of like weird like turned into like crystallized like ice cubes to put on the pancakes or something like that um so it's it's, it's not the greatest show but i just started watching it because like i said i heard brenna freaking out about it all the time yeah and uh yeah on also on netflix it's uh, just because I had watched Chopped, they started uh, kept on suggesting Cupcake Wars, which is pretty much the same thing. Uh, you have, like, three or four competitors trying to impress a bunch of judges by, like, th- making, like, three batches of cupcakes. Except it's cupcakes instead of, like, you know, three courses of a meal. But Cupcake Wars is not that interesting because there's only so much... Even if it was... Like, Great British Bake Off is all about baking and lots of desserts and stuff. Yeah. But there's still, like, bread and stuff. But with cupcakes, there's only so many things you can do with cupcakes. Yeah. Like, you always kind of, like, it's always going to be chocolate or vanilla or mints or... Really, the only thing that separates people's cupcakes from each other on Cupcake Wars is the little fondant decorations they put on top. Right. And it's kind of stupid, but... I'm sorry, you were talking about Great British Bake Off, and I totally ran over your shit. No, I, I, I started by saying I have nothing to say about Great British Bake Off, except that Foley got out of baking. Foley used to bake on and off a oh, little yeah? bit. But um, she stopped baking when we lived in our Victorian because we had a... A stove that was from 1923. Yeah, that you couldn't you couldn't regulate the temperature or everything. It was just it was no good for baking. So she got out of the habit. But after watching enough Great British Bake Off, oh, it's no. so cute. She got really motivated to do baking. Yeah. The other thing that kind of scared her off from baking is that whereas cooking is so improvisational and just kind of your instincts and gut and yeah. just trying stuff, baking is very much so a series of rules that have to be followed in sequence to yeah. succeed. And she, so she, having watched Great British Bake Off, she was felt motivated to try all these techniques, and she knows what she's looking for and all this stuff. So she was so cute. She's like, I, she made banana bread. She's like, I followed all the directions, and it was great. And she's like, look at that. It's got good, even color. It's surly face. It didn't have a soggy bottom. No soggy bottom, and like uh, it's like oh, see the spring of the the texture of the inside. It's like it's so funny. I think we may she may become my my baking my bacon bear now. Which oh, I'm that is with. super cool. Yeah. Did you guys so, eat it while watching more uh, Gabo? Uh, actually, we ate it while playing more Assassin's Creed Unity. Oh my god! So how was really? that? You totally benefited from me being stupid enough to buy that game blindly last week. All I've been doing this week is playing Assassin's Creed Unity. That's so, really all I've been doing. I'm assuming it's not good, but it's Assassin's Creed, hence you kind of brought brute forcing your way through the game. So everybody is slagging on it. So here, here's my caveat. This is this is how I'm going to phrase all of this. I'm going to start with this disclaimer. I've played all the console Assassin's Creed games. You have, haven't like, you, huh? Revelations, the ones that no one else have played. I have literally played them all from start to finish. You beat them I all too? I thought, I thought at least there would have been a couple you gave up on. Every single Assassin's oh my Creed game God. I have completed. You're crazy. I, uh, I have played some of the portable games. I played a little bit of Liberation on Vita. Well, how many portable games have they come out? I, know, I think they came out with like a, a DS game. Yeah, they came. Well, I I own that DS game, believe it or not. Are you serious? Wow. There is okay. a um. There are some Vita games that filled in Altair's backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, or excuse me, PSP games, I should say. But anyway, I played all the console games, and I do enjoy them because at the end of the day, I love the movement, the expression of movement in them. At the best of times, there is nothing I love more than traversal through a varied and interesting landscape. 
and like I find that very satisfying. It's a cer- there are certain games that that dig into my reptile brain, and it's like here's a world to explore. Here are some things to find. Go do them. Yeah. And I can find there if if a game taps into that instinct, it doesn't always work. But if a game manages to tap into that, I'll have a really good time with it. Yeah. So I've played about twelve hours of Assassin's Creed. No, more than that at this point. Because yesterday I put in way too many hours playing it. So let's say conservatively, I've played. 15 hours of Assassin's Creed Unity. Wow. I've Although, only yeah, actually... for the course of a whole week, that's actually not that bad. I've probably played way more than that. But let's be generous. Yeah, I played yeah, 18... yeah, yeah. I played 15 hours of Assassin's Creed Unity. I've only, in that time, done one assassination. And that's at the end. And that's, because... that's more on you because than, than the game design, right? No, yeah. Well, the game allowed you to do it. Like, once you... you, you um... So, the way they do gating in this game... It's interesting. In prior Assassin's Creed games, they would literally gate off portions of the world from you. You couldn't proceed into them until you had unlocked certain memories. Is or, this the first like, game not to do that? No. There have been other Assassin's Creed games that have played with this. Okay. And it's interesting because even though it is an iterative franchise, you can sometimes feel when they're building on something that was in the past or when they've just scrapped it all together. Because, mm. Or, excuse me, they've just discarded a lot of things. Because in some Assassin's Creed games, you get to the point where you have so many abilities that it's ridiculous and you don't even use them. Mm-hmm. Like, half of them. Or, like, weapons. Yeah, like, like uh, smoke think, bombs and fire bombs and this and that. And yeah, I think You can the, shoot the blades most, out of your hands. and you The know. one that did that the most was as I recall, and they all are a big mush in my head, was Revelations, which I actually enjoyed, but you have so many abilities that unlock so quickly in that, it's it's nuts. Mm-hmm. So Although in this game... is an older Ezio, so it kind of made yeah. sense that, at least from oh, a story it... perspective, you might have a lot of that junk to begin with. Absolutely. Narratively, yeah. it made sense, but as a player, it was a little too much too soon. Yeah. And frankly, it was all a little overwhelming. They've really pared down your abilities in this one. You can only carry two weapons at any given time, though it's very easy oh, for really? you to hop into your customization menu and change that at any time. You can change your loadout dynamically just by going into your customization menu. And you can actually buy new weapons within that customization menu. So you don't have to find a store or find Oh, that's nice. You're not always, like, looking for, uh, who is, like, was it Ezio? Was it, you always had to buy new weapons and stuff from, uh... Yeah. Fucking, (laughs) whatever historical figure... Um, so yeah. they de- they ditch all that, which is interesting, and it works out. The way the only thing that they um, they gate off from you are abilities, and they gate them off pretty literally. There are God bless them four currencies in the game. Mm-hmm. There's actual money that you can use to buy things and oh, weapons freemium and style weapons. where like yeah, the, like cause I, there's a lot of people have been freaking out about that. Well, they do have they have helix points which you can buy with actual money that allow you to more quickly unlock um, weapons or upgrade weapons if you don't have the in-game currency to do it. But you can also just get them through in-game currency. Oh, okay. um, there are assassin points, I think is what they're called, which you get for doing like basically being a cool assassin. So like that's everything from doing a blended assassination to an air assassination to quickly traversing through landscape dynamically or it's basically cool guy points um that you can use to upgrade abilities and unlock some colors for your outfits i do like stuff. the idea of cgp cool guy points <laughs> so the one thing that that kind of 
is interesting to me that but kind of bothers me is your outfits your costumes your your clothing it's cool in that you have there's lots of layers to it so you can pick your custom hood yeah. pick your custom cloak pick your custom belts pick your custom pants pick your custom bracer and there are all sorts of cool aesthetics of, to them but Beyond that, they're all of them are linked to very particular abilities. So, oh, what's so you cool can't is make that, yourself. You can't just dress you for yourself or how you want to look. There's always that dynamic in games that I I struggle with just because I really like dressing up my character. I'm really emotionally invested in that, but I hate when costumes or outfits are linked to abilities because then I'm just gonna get whatever works for my whatever yeah, exactly. works yeah, you're for my playstyle. It defeats the whole purpose of kind of like being able to dress yourself any way you like. It kind of makes sense when you think of it for co-op because your whatever costumes you pick for your Arno rolls out into your co-op play. And so you're going to have characters who look different based on what they do. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, the nice thing is that I've been... Uh, my focus is I just need more health because I'm not very good at this game and I need... Um, I need more health so I don't get n- n- mashed. So fortunately, the best thing for health is this like ridiculous medieval outfit that once at the higher levels actually looks pretty cool. Oh yeah. So I saw you posted. I think you posted a, uh, a photo of your character, and he did not look like a French revolutionary. He looked like somebody who's wearing almost like a modern day hoodie because it was a very kind of like tailored, squared off. It didn't look old. It looked very kind of modern looking. How are, the, how are the costume designs in this game? As far as like the like, stuff that it, Arno can wear, if you had cha- if I had changed different colors on the top, like it, it is a uniform, like it's okay, very much okay. so. Yeah. It looks like a uniform of the era. Well, I was going to say because um, like it, when you first boot up the game, because I played this game for literally about fifteen minutes before I lent it to you, because yeah, I I was too busy with Halo. But the first thing you you see in the game is uh, you're essentially playing someone who is playing the latest game made by the Templars, which is essentially you plugging into this virtual virtual reality simulator, which they give you this menu that shows you where all these different time periods that you can eventually yeah. unlock uh, yeah. within the Assassin's Creed period. And one of the things is like this 1930s jazz yeah. period that like you can't play any of this stuff in the game but it's kind of suggested that like maybe within this like in world stuff that like you could eventually unlock the ability to play as whatever assassin was running around like 1930s chicago i guess and like the way his like it's funny because like his costume is super tailored and yeah. kind of modern looking that's what i kind of thought what your uh costume for arno uh, later uh on kind of wound up looking like yeah now my arno just looks like a brute because he's wearing this ridiculous like heavily layered like medieval thing with chain mail oh really so the one thing that they've added that i think is actually kind of interesting i don't know if it's effective or not i should i should preface this by saying uh, there are some assassin's creed games that are better with traversal than others um, at its best, you can just navigate through a city and it feels effortless and beautiful and uh-huh. joyful. This game isn't isn't bad. It's not as frustrating as other Assassin's Creed games is, but are, have been really. This is just a middle of the road Assassin's Creed game, by from my estimation. It's I'd say the worst was definitely three. Yeah. Because from every level, it was not it was not very successful. Just at the basic level of. What shit can you climb around on? Not much, because this is colonial America. Um, but anyway, uh, the uh, one thing they added, and I can't remember if this has been in other Assassin's Creed games, when you are traversing, if you, so it's always been if you hold down the right trigger, you run, yeah. and as you can press buttons to climb or descend. 
now if you hold down the right trigger, if you press the X button as you run, you'll basically transcend up, upward. Okay. If you just hold down the right trigger, you'll just go forward. And if you hold down the right trigger and the circle button, you'll go down. Yeah, I saw that so, those prompts the little bit I played of it, but I didn't get a chance to really use it that much. Yeah, that's kind of clever to kind of like tell t- explicitly tell the game which direction you want to go so, when you're navigating these various. Could you events. just press forward and was it X whatever the up button is, and your character mm-hmm. will just automatically just find whatever's upwards, and like you don't even have to like worry about like okay, I need to grab this ledge and this ledge and that ledge. You, you could just kind of like he just autopilots that way. Mm-hmm. It feels like it should be, that that's yeah. like kind of the idea. And at the best of times, it does work. Um, there are some times where even though I'm telling it to ascend and I'm holding down all the buttons, I do have to manually tell it, motherfucker, just jump up high, you can make it. And mm-hmm. you know, Although it's that's not always quite... been a thing in Assassin's Creed game where the controls get like kind of weirdly sticky or confused. Well, and I, it's a huge world, but there have been Assassin's Creed games where they've, they've managed to polish that out. So where it feels effortless, where you really feel like this this awesome, powerful badass. Because ultimately, when when the controls fail, it just makes you feel weak and, like, and foolish. Oh, yeah. You know? And it's like, I'm a cool guy. I shouldn't have to be like struggling to not step on this table as I encounter this environment. But... So my, my impression of the game is I'm enjoying it just fine just because I enjoy all the ambient world shit. Like, one thing they've added in this game that I'm actually really enjoying are these murder mysteries mm-hmm. where you can, as you now as you can explore, you can find um, where these murders have happened. And you have to in, uh, gather clues and interrogate witnesses and um, eventually you can uh, figure determine who did it and you can accuse the murderer and there are none of them very like nuanced or complicated mysteries but it's just kind of a refreshing palette cleanser like i like having puzzles in the game where you're actually kind of having to pay attention and like listen and think about things as opposed to just traversing or killing dudes are you penalized at all if you uh, accuse the wrong dude Yes, you your reward decreases. Oh, you, you still get a reward. It's just, that's why you still get a reward. It's just less. Um, well, you if you accuse, if you accuse the wrong person, I haven't done it because I only accuse the right person. Oh, so I far. see. Oh, okay. Um, Humble they're, brag, the mysteries, they're not. They're not very difficult. Yeah. But it's just a kind of. It's a pleasant alternative. How is Arno like, as a character? He is not the worst. I've been, uh... <laughs> wow. I've been... That, that's, that's right. You're making me fall in love with this game all over again. Well, no, it's like, again... <laughs> it doesn't I, give I'm, you total butt cancer. It's just I'm passable. I'm approaching this game as an Assassin's Creed apologist, ultimately. And I, I can't help but feel bad for this game, because it's getting pretty, pretty slammed. Well, not and... even from, like, a design perspective, but because it just doesn't work for a lot of people. So, yeah, all the technical issues are intense. I have only hit... Two game killing bugs. Only two in a week. That's that. You know what? For modern day games, that's actually about on par. I so there's a there was a bug in the PS4 thing though. I ha- they they patched it, and I haven't ran into this issue where you can fall through the environment, but you can just pull up your map and fa- map and fast travel somewhere. And it, oh, okay, that's you can good. Deal with it. Um, but there was I did hit a bug and fully posted it to Instagram uh, where I tried to jump across. Uh, from one building to another, and I just got caught against the building. But his we, his arms are still we, like wheeling around like he was falling. Yeah, I've and... seen people get stuck in like banners and stuff like that. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. So any kind of like vertical the... surface. 
The only thing that's been an issue has been frame rate. The frame rate really? does stutter sometimes. Huh. But I'll say this. It's usually only after I've been playing for like two hours. And, you know, when I'm getting to an environment that's filled with hundreds of people. No, there does like, seem to be a lot of, like, that. yeah, there's a lot of shit going on in that game. Yeah, I mean, I, can, I can't fault them too much for it. And every time frame rate's been an issue, if I just restart my game, it's fine. Yeah. So I haven't hit any game-killing bl- bugs. And the game is so ambitious. There's a part of me that, even though I think it's unacceptable that you can't give your team enough time to iron shit out, uh, it's, it's not as murderous as everybody's saying but arno as a protagonist he is not the worst protagonist he is basically an Ezio light sort of character yeah i i think we all have to start coming to terms with the fact that like not only was assassin's creed 2 kind of like the like the highlight of the series and i don't think unless something miraculous happens i don't think any of the assassin's creed uh game is gonna usurp that but also like i think Ezio is gonna be the best assassin's creed main character we ever gonna, gonna get because... which is sad because Ezio, the uh, the charm of Ezio was in his performance yeah. he had a really good voice actor and he kind of had a family yeah but other than that there wasn't really a lot to Ezio. he was just a dopey bro who just decided instead of fucking everybody he was just gonna fuck up everybody yeah. Um, yeah, but... and it's just, yeah, he was still a fun know, guy, but it's not like he's, like, a, a crazy interesting character, though, yeah. If you had taken that character and had him voiced by someone else, it, you would not be as emotionally attached. Yeah. Like, that's one of the reasons why I'm so upset with Assassin's Creed 3, is that Connor, his voice actor, was so milquetoast, it was hard to get emotionally invested mm-hmm. in him, even though his stakes were pretty, pretty intense and pretty high. Man, I got tricked into buying this game, because... I hated Assassin's Creed 3 for the two hours I could play it because I've ran it on, yeah. the, on, on the podcast before about how I bought Assassin's Creed 3 and I had a game-breaking bug two hours in and I didn't yeah. feel like replaying the first two hours, two hours of the game, so I never got any further. And aside from that, I just heard everyone else who even got farther into the game who said I didn't miss much because supposedly the rest of Assassin's Creed 3 was bullshit. You, you, even you kind of like pretty much. It, that is the worst Assassin's Creed game. Um... But, so, because I know they have separate Assassin's Creed game, or s- s- separate teams working on these games these days, and I was like, well, it makes sense that if they had the Assassin's Creed 4 team do Assassin's Creed 4 last year, it makes sense that it's entirely possible this game was done by the Assassin's Creed 3 team, you know, they essentially took last year off, and so I even looked into Assassin's this Assassin's Creed game to say, uh, to see if the same guys who were in charge of Assassin's Creed uh, 3, uh, Assassin's Creed 3 was in charge of Unity, and according to the Assassin's Creed wiki, the lead, the guy in charge of Unity was the same guy who was in charge of, what was the last Ezio game, Revelations? And I was mm-hmm. like, eh, that's not so bad. But then it turns out this really was the Assassin's Creed 3 team, just with the guy from uh, Revelations in charge of this. So from a technical perspective, no wonder this is kind of another glitchy mess, because Assassin's Creed 3 was a glitchy mess. And it sounds like that uh, whatever team this is, this is definitely the least inspired Assassin's Creed team, um, which kind of kills me because then you know the the team that is did Assassin's Creed Four, they're gonna be their set next Assassin's Creed game is probably coming out next year. That might actually be good, but now we're gonna be locked in this pattern of like you're always gonna have like a pretty good Assassin's Creed game, and then two years from now you're gonna have the shitty one from this team again, and it's just I don't know. At the end of the day, all I really need from Assassin's Creed is, an, is a satisfying world to explore. Yeah. I've given up on expecting any sort of real emotional connection with the character. Yeah. Um, uh, 
and it's like you know Arno's not the worst but he's just and like I said I haven't played much of the narrative I'm a little upset because the core of this narrative is uh, basically what what distinguishes Arno from other protagonists is that he um, his father was murdered when he was a young boy mm-hmm. he was adopted by his father was an assassin he was adopted by a Templar and fell in love with the Templar's daughter and then the Templar <gasps> was murdered and uh, while and he and Arno learns that the man who murdered his father was the same man who murdered his uh, adopted father, and he gets mixed up with the assassins. Meanwhile, the Templar's daughter gets mixed up with the Templars, and there's at the core there is this you know kind of tragic quote unquote question mark love story between mm-hmm. these two characters, which is an interesting idea, but. I don't care enough about either of them. I don't care enough about their relationship. The one thing that fully pointed out to me that I missed, and now I'm like, motherfuckers. His name is Arno, that starts with an A. Her name is Elise, that starts with an E. And the first thing you see them do in the game is she tempts him into stealing an apple. Uh, which that's the only and part of the game like, I played, yeah. And it's I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I totally wasn't conscious of it. It's always like, oh my fucking god. You know they were consciously doing an Adam and Eve thing. And yeah. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so that's, know. even for video games, that's actually kind of subtle, though. Uh, a lot of other video games would just actually call him Adam and she would be I Eve. Was gonna say. And then, like, he so, would have to fight a snake monster. At, you know, I like, feel you know. like, at the end of the day, that's it is an iterative franchise. They come out with, now two new games a year because crazy. there was a rogue there was a game called rogue for consoles which i've heard is more of a straight up expansion of black flag oh is it which, it's pirate stuff well no but i mean from a gameplay perspective it's building off of though like ship combat well that's what i said i'm assuming if it's that. got because like all the new mechanics in assassin's creed 4 were extensions of the pirate stuff like underwater yeah. st- diving the climbing up ships the ship warfare um, Apparently, Rogue has more of that. So, Rogue is more just expanding on those mechanics and themes as opposed to a fresh game. Wait, so, does so, it take place in. in does, is it like the French Navy? I, Bill, I have officially told you everything I know about Rogue. Because if it's in the French Navy, <laughs> even though it's called. Even, even looks like it looks like it's Rogue, it would be Rouge. <laughs> Assassin's so, Creed Rouge. It's been getting pretty good reviews, though Ubisoft didn't put it as as forward as did Unity. Assassin's so Creed Rogue? Like, no, they didn't even send any copies out for review. Yeah. Everything I've heard about it, it's fucking terrible is what I've heard. Oh, I've heard that it's actually pretty good. Oh, I've heard the opposite, where everyone's just like, this is bullshit. Like, this option, they just kind of farted out something just to squeeze a couple extra bucks out of 360 and PS3 owners. Oh, who yeah. knows, yeah. Well, my point is, I'm probably going to play that trash, too, because, like I said, I've oh, played... Yeah. At this point, you're almost Assassin's obligated Creed to just be the game. Assassin's Creed uh, uh, lore master over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. My point is, at the end of the day, it's kind of like getting head up about Call of Duty or yeah. Madden, where it is an iterative franchise. They have to pump out one a year. It I is what it is. I just, it just blows my mind that this is the seventh seventh console Assassin's Creed game. They just came out with two games at the same time, too. So it's technically it's Assassin's Creed 7 and 8 at the same time. Nuts. But, oh, my God. Man, console man, console games fucked up right now. I can't believe Last week in general was a pretty goddamn bad week between Assassin's Creed doesn't work and or is, like, underwhelming to a lot of people. The Halo game, which is the other game I bought last week, barely works for a lot of people. So why um, doesn't Halo... What's going on with the Halo oh, game? Oh, well, before we start getting to Halo stuff, are you going to try to finish Assassin's Creed before Tuesday? 
Probably not. Okay, that's what I was wondering, because I wonder if this might be the first one you give up on, because... Oh, I'll finish it eventually. I just may not finish it now. In 2017, <laughs> yeah. After the apocalypse happens, you got nothing else to do except to go back and Man. play the Assassin's Creed. So, friend of the podcast, uh, Ainsley's... Uh, I don't know how to say her surname. Siago? Yeah. Pardon me, Ainsley. And Clamity John Morris are going to be in town on Tuesday... <gasps> doing a talk at floating girl floating world comics it is apparently the um the entomology entomologist association is meeting and ainsley arranged a talk at floating world about uh basically bugs and comics and uh i love those kids and i want to go and support them but it's dragon Age. it is yeah they kind of chose the worst it's kind of like the biggest video game day of the year for me, at least. No, for, this like... this whole week is going to be bonkers because what's what's? Oh, I wrote down the list of shit that's coming out this week. You've got Dragon Age and Far Cry coming out on Tuesday. Then you have Smash mm-hmm. Brothers coming out on Friday, along with all the Amiibo stuff. And you have Grand Theft Auto Five also coming out on Friday on on Tuesday wow. too. So this is kind of and after this week, there's not that much coming out. So this is pretty much the the, the this this week is the the big gaming week of the year. This is it. This is this is a gaming Christmas right now. Yeah. So, you know. But Halo. Halo. Halo is pretty rough. Uh, Online multiplayer, which is the reason majority of people picking up this game picked it up, is has been busted all week. Uh, They finally put out a patch on Friday that makes it so multiplayer kind of sort of works for some people, but still. Um, this new patch they put on Friday kind of breaks the campaigns of a lot of the games. Oh. So this Halo, it's it's a Halo collection. It's it's the first four uh, Halo games, along with all the multiplayer stuff from all those different games mixed together. And so, yeah, the big thing all week was multiplayer, for whatever reason, just didn't work at all. You could still play the campaigns from all the four different, you know, the single-player campaigns built in under the disc, but multiplayer's busted. But yeah, but then put this patch they put out on Friday kind of sort of fixes multiplayer but then also kind of sort of breaks all the single player campaign stuff for people uh... for all and it's just like what the fuck are you doing this while everyone's trying to play assassin's creed and that's busted and yeah. also sonic boom which i guess came out on tuesday too supposedly that is officially now the worst sonic game and that's supposedly all buggy as hell uh game uh, uh, a, a bug showed up in that game where I think if you're playing as... Who's the red guy in the Sonic games? Knuckles? Knuckles? I think you could you could double jump, and if you hit the pause button and unpause the game, his double jump uh, replenishes, so you can jump over anything in the game. And then they figured out that, you know, using that bug in the game, you could actually beat the game less than 15 minutes. Because you can just, like, double jump over water walls that are keeping you out from, like, the boss area at the end of the game. Yeah. So you can just pretty much run to the boss and beat him at the end of the game. Um... But, uh, yeah, you know, Halo is really cool. I've actually, because the multiplayer was busted for most of the week, uh, I just started playing the single-player campaign stuff, uh, starting with the original Halo game, because I thought, you know, let's might as well start with the first one, because it's got four games right. on there. And I've actually got almost to the end, and it's actually really cool! It's it's kind of funny to go back and play these games that, like, you know, for the first Halo game's like 15 years old now. Yeah. And this, the, the version they have on this disc... Um, there's a remastered version where they, like, spruced up all the graphics and everything like that. Uh-huh. But it looks really corny. I like, like, with a push of a button, you can switch between the old graphics and the new graphics they put on. Just for yeah. this, like, this this collection. And, but man, it's all about the old graphics. The nice thing is that, like, be, with the extra processing power of the PlayStation 4, they made it so the, all, all the games, uh, 
in this collection all run at 60 frames per second at 1080p full full hd mm. 60 frames a second which is that's also really nice uh but the weird thing is like all these old games uh because even the, even the i think even the newest game halo 4 which came out just a couple years ago uh these games were all designed at best for 30 frames per second stuff motion yeah so all the animations at best are 30 frames per second well the the actual like the the way the game is being presented to you is 60 frames per second so the animations all kind of like weirdly kind of like staccato almost looks like stop motion because it's a weird thing because yeah you have characters moving at a different frame rate as the what the rest of the game is being presented at especially like the first halo game which is the one i've been playing the characters i think are running sometimes like like moving at like 15 frames per second so it really does kind of look like stop motion sometimes it's kind of weird but like it's so weird to see such an old game presented in such like hd smooth motion kind of stuff yeah but it's yeah. been fun. The you know the the game design doesn't necessarily hold up that well, but it's been fun to just go back and man for just for the sheer amount of game stuff you get for sixty bucks. This yeah, game is, that's you know, it's, it's you get four full fledged Halo games on one disc. It's fucking crazy. But uh, but <laughs> since they put out the patch on Friday that fixes some of the multiplayer, they actually managed to do a little bit of that. It's really buggy, but at least you can get into some matches. And some of the games I've been yeah. able to get into have been fun. But man, it's just. They have no idea when they're going to be able to fix that game altogether. Yeah. It's very touch and go. And for that game not to be working reliably on the first weekend it comes out, with all these yeah. other games coming in, man, that, yeah. that could be a death knell for a game like that. So Seriously. Yeah, yeah I've been having the same problems with Assassin's Creed, or uh, with Unity, where I tried to play online a little bit with friends of the podcast, Maxwell Motley, yeah. and that wasn't working. I tried to also just play online with strangers, because there are some abilities you can only unlock, or excuse me, they really push you to play co-op. I'm going to talk about Unity again for just a second. So, they block <laughs> off... I need they're, to play Dragon shit. Age this week, just so we can have a conversation about it next week. Otherwise, I'm just going to be locked out of the podcast. No, there's shit in the game you can only unlock by doing other shit. Yeah. So, like... Like I said, you can unlock abilities using these, I can't remember what they're called in-game, these particular synchronization points. That's what they're called. Synchronization points allow you to unlock abilities, like, things like double, like, being able to double assassinate, and, like, air assassinate, and heavy attacks, and stuff like that. And the only way you can earn assassination points, or synchronization points, is by doing chapters in the game. Or by playing co-op. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you can't unlock everything in the game without playing co-op. Like, the, you don't earn enough points just playing the game. So they what? really want you to play co-op. On top of that, there are all these chests in the world that you can only unlock by playing the uh, companion app. Oh, on... not because I know there's some chests in the world you can only unlock if you're logged into Uplay, but you need the companion app? Yeah, what yeah. The you fuck? have to actually is it at play least a free and app? unlock them on this this uh, this app that it's like any other app where it's like time based. Where yeah, oh, you can send. It's it's like the in-game assassins. They they used to have like things Ugh. where you can send assassins on missions in the other games. Well, now it's all in this app, and all it does at the end of the day is help you unlock these chests in the world and also unlock some abilities and weapons. It is That's bullshit. It's bad enough that they make you log into Uplay for any of the stuff, but like doing that shit just, too. The thing is, is that I wouldn't mm. care if it were just added things to my world, yeah. but to literally have all these things littering my map or filling the purchase screen that I cannot buy unless I do all this shit is garbage. Man, one of the funny things uh, about the new Halo collection that I was just talking about, there's actually, there's this whole menu where you can like, you know, like 
change your character and do all kinds of stuff like that. But one of the things is also, it's one of the first video games I've ever seen that contains a direct link to uh, the official Halo store, that which you click oh, from really? from within the game. You click this link and suddenly brings up the, your console's web browser that takes you to the official Halo store, where right there you can buy, if you want a Master Chief helmet or a Master Chief hoodie yeah. or something like that, which it's, it's not that egregious because you actually really have to kind of look at the, the store thing. Uh, it's yeah. not like the first thing that's presented on the front page. It doesn't sound as, as egregious as the shit you're talking about with Assassin's Creed. But this is the, one of the first times I've ever seen. Imagine if you had a Mass Effect game where one of the tabs was just like, oh, click here. We'll take you to the official store if you want to buy your Garrus action figure. I that's think that's insid- smart. That, that, that could be a, oh, man. Oh. I think that's smart. Cause no, that's, it is that's smart. Just asking a co- that's asking a consumer, hey, if you want to engage further with this, yeah. here's you can do that. As opposed to, hey, if you want to play the game, do this. I'm not that's... even saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's dangerous. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. <laughs> Especially if it's, you know, like if you had something like Dragon Age or Mass Effect where you're already locked into that world so yeah. much. Like, the, at no point in your life are you going to be more open to buying stupid shit from a video game than you are when you're actually sitting there in front of the TV with the controller in your hand. Yeah. Like, it's bad enough if you're just, like, at work or on your phone, and you're like, oh, I'm going to look up for, you know, I'm going to look up stuff, you know, the official web shop, web shop for this video game that I like. But if you're actually, like, playing the game and something's like, hey, man, you want to buy this full-head latex Garrus mask? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you should say that because I'm cleaning. We're clean. We rearrange our office a little bit, and I have this Tolly action figure oh, no. that I got. And, but no, the thing is, I'm like, I don't want this fucking action figure anymore. Like, what do I do with what? this action figure? It's like, do I give it to someone? But then they have this this thing that they don't really. Why would you need. want to get rid of a Tolly action figure? Because I have a better one. <laughs> I've got the super fancy square oh, okay, play okay, okay, one okay. in the living room, and I'm like, I don't, I got my, that's fine, I don't need this. Anyway, uh, Bill, I'm sorry, that's a good story. Isn't working, but I'm glad you're having fun. <laughs> uh, tell me about Mario Kart DLC, Bill. Oh man, but like that's the other thing. In the face of all these games coming out in the la- in the last week or two that don't work, Mario Kart DLC came out. It's beautiful. It's cheap, and it works. <laughs> that's really the whole story right there is like leave it to nintendo like to kind of show everyone how it's done in the wake of all this other stuff so uh the, the, the mario kart dlc you could technically it's been available for purchase for like six months and for uh like six months now uh but it just actually came out this week uh so what you can do is for 12 bucks you can buy uh, you, it's, uh, up until the the, the 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 first batch of DLC came out this week, you could pre uh, essentially pre-order for twelve bucks uh, this batch of DLC that came out uh, this week. And also, there's another batch of DLC comes out. I think it's May, and that the DLC that comes out in May adds a whole bunch of like Animal Crossing characters and Animal Crossing tracks and stuff. Uh, the batch of DLC that came out this week uh, was a whole bunch of Zelda stuff. You, Link becomes a playable character. Um, yeah. there's a Hyrule stage that you can run around in. Uh, this update also includes, like, I can't, can you play as, oh, no, I think it's, uh, like, aside from, like, you could also now play as, like, Tanuki Mario from Mario 3, and I oh, think yeah. also Tanuki Peach, <laughs> which, I don't know if okay. she's ever, you've ever been able to dress uh, Peach up as a Tanuki before, but now you can, can in, uh, in, in Mario Kart. But there's, like, also, like, in this update that came out this week, there's an F-Zero stage, and all kinds of stuff, and it's just, like, lots of content. You get, like, three or four new playable characters. There's two, two new whole, um, not race courses, but, like, cups 
worth of mm-hmm. tracks in this one update that just came out this week, which I think is like, is that like, s- that's gotta be, because I think a whole cup has like three or four tracks, so that may be yeah. eight tracks for for like essentially six bucks, because like I said, both of these content updates are $12 for the whole shebang. But yeah. say individually, so that means they're about six bucks a piece. For six bucks, you essentially like get fifty, for, like pretty much almost like not double, but like by fifty percent increase the number of tracks in the whole game entirely. You get a whole bunch of new characters, you get a whole bunch of new vehicles and stuff like that. Um, you get to like there's F zero cars now you can race in and stuff, and it's just like just a lot of content. And man, like playing Mario Kart again, I still think Mario Kart Eight may be the prettiest console game that's come out this year. It doesn't really come across like that in screen caps and stuff online. But man, seeing Mario Kart 8 in motion in real life, it's it's goddamn fucking beautiful. And the new tracks, too, are, are gorgeous. Uh, the new Hyrule stage is, is super pretty. <laughs> One of the funny things in Mario Kart... So, uh, in Mario Kart, there's always been a thing where you can collect coins to make your cart go faster. And mm-hmm. so, but with the new Hyrule stage, instead of coins, little Mario coins, now it's rupees. Which, it's kind of yeah. funny they changed some of the context stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I don't know. It's all Nintendo fan wankery, but it's been, it was really worth it, so. As a Nintendo fan, it sounds like you sound happily wanked. Yeah! So... Hey, well, well, the other, one of the other things, too, one of the new stages is the Super Nintendo Rainbow Road, which is done up oh, now yeah? as, like, super pretty, and, like, it's just, like, super goddamn cute. Like, the, the night sky in the background is kind of like the, it's a three-dimensional night sky of the world from, like, Super Mario World. So it's kind of funny Aww. they still kind of stay true to those 16-bit origins. But it's not done up in a 16-bit style. It's all, like, super realistic, but it's, like, got those, like, rounded mountains and, like, goofy little yeah. clouds and stuff. But, like, it's just, it's just goddamn cute. And like I said, it's just nice to have some DLC that's cheap and it works and it, like, fleshes out, fleshes out in the game in a great way. Oh, and then there's an Excite Bike track where it's all just, oh, like... really? Yeah, and that's all kind of... It's just... Well, this is also one of the first... This this content update for Mario Kart is also the first time where you've had tracks and racers and stuff from outside of the Mario universe. Hence the Zelda, oh, okay. like, course and the Excite oh, Bike and F-Zero I didn't think stuff. about that. Yeah. Yeah, so this huh. is the... Like, up until now, it's always been, like, you know, like, Yoshi Land or, like, Wario Land or something like that. But, yeah, now huh. and then. Essentially, Mario Kart is just becoming a Nintendo Kart now, and this DLC update is the first step towards that. But, yeah, it's good. Oh, I'm glad you're having a good time, my friend. Yeah, if you're ever over here, everyone, I want to check out Mario Kart. I know you're not the world's biggest Mario Kart fan, but if you ever want to see what it looks like. I'm not a big fan of racers in general, but yeah. I, I'll play a round or two before I get bored with it and want to move on with my life. But man, yeah, no, it's all about the May update where you get to play as... What's her name? Isabel from Animal Crossing? Oh, seriously? Oh, man. I think you play That's as Isabel and, like, the villagers... And there's at least one Animal Crossing track in that game. Oh, that that's oh, going to so blow good. the roof off for shit. That's going to be amazing. So good. Anyway, what else? Bill, uh, oh man, can we are, are, can we move on to Legend of Korra? Oh, what happened? Oh man. This is a good this is a good really good episode of of, of Legend of Korra. It was super good. It was, I liked it. This one episode was a little bit of a placeholder episode though, where it was kind of just moving pieces around without anything too crazy happening within the within the episode yeah. itself. Right. Except what, for the, blushing is, and tree stuff. That was intense. Yeah, that last that last 15 seconds of that episode was just... Oh, I, I hope they're not setting up people's expectations too high because... So this last episode of Legend of Korra ends with uh, the main baddie, Kuvira, and her troops uh, essentially starting to tear apart this giant ancient tree in the swamp. 
And they've already established it a couple episodes earlier that uh, one of the characters from the original Avatar show, Toph, who is one of the fan favorite characters, is now an yeah, old woman badass. living in the swamp. And her big thing is she's kind of like hanging out living in this tree. And so it would be it's it's kind of like suggesting that like Toph is going to uh, have to come out and kick the shit out of Kuvira. Which... Yeah, Toph is basically Yoda, but like the most hardcore badass Yoda yeah, the world has if, ever seen. Yeah, imagine if Yoda didn't give a shit. <laughs> if Yoda didn't give a shit and were enormously powerful. But I'm kind of wondering, I'm like, how? Okay, so there's obviously setting up, Toph's going to have to get involved, which is good. But okay, so how does this not end with Toph just killing Kuvira and that's yeah. the end of the series I'm kind of like wondering what's going to happen and it's going to yeah. be kind of a bummer if Toph shows up and if she gets her ass kicked by Kuvira and her troops it's going to be kind of I mean it'll be nice to see Toph show up again but like at the same time I'm yeah. like I don't want to see her I just want to see her kill everybody not even kill yeah. anybody but like I don't know it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that goes and to see if there comes to be some sort of conflict between Korra and Toph. Yeah. And one well, thing people that was pointed out, like, what they might do is bring back Toph and maybe Kuvira kills Toph and that's how you make Kuvira, like, that's how you up the stakes for the rest of the series. Oh, man. Which... Oh, man. If Kuvira killed Toph, can you imagine... Can you imagine all of Legend of Korra fandom just going, fuck that... Well, it would be great though, because I don't think people would necessarily—they would be horrified. Yeah. But especially if this is going to be the last bit of Avatar in God knows how many—you know—before these guys ever come back to do more Avatar stuff in God knows how many years from now. Like it would make sense they would sacrifice an old Avatar character or something like that. But like I don't know what's going to happen. But shit, it was a great way to end the episode though. Uh, yeah. Did you see the? Oh wait, did uh, uh, the the someone redid the end of that episode? Yes, I love that. That was so good. Now you fucked up. Now you fucked, <laughs> you fucked up. up. Now you fucked up. But that's so not the most important part of this episode. The, what's interesting about le this season of Legend of Korra is that, so when the first season happened, they thought it was going to be a mini series, and they abruptly found out that it wasn't during production, so they kind of pumped it up full of hot air. And for a and while, there was going to be a puppet show, and so they filmed like a couple episodes as a puppet show. <laughs> So the second season, they didn't really know what they were doing, but they were ki they kind of kept going, and it had its faults. The third season is interesting because um, the third and fourth season, these are the first seasons that they've made having really gotten feedback, or having heard, like, really been able to not only hear response br from the, the viewers, but kind of act on it yeah. a little bit. So that's why you have things like Toph returning this season. Oh, excuse me. You can't help but feel that things that are very obviously crowd-pleasy things yeah. uh, in this season, like, dumping all the relationship stuff and, like... Uh, we kind of jokes about how the relationship is all kind of just vanished too. It's like yeah, they're very kind of self-aware about that. Yeah, it's it feels like they're hearing a lot of criticism and trying to address it. So one thing that they did in this episode that was interesting. This is, is the first have... time where even I've been like, whoa. <laughs> the the um this episode's called reunion. It's Cora going back to Republic City. Um, uh, Bolin is still on the run, um, from Kuvira's forces, so when Korra goes home to Republic City, she sees Asami and Mako, and there's this whole kind of, where she goes out to dinner with them, and is kind of getting, is getting, like, back in the old gang, but it's interesting because it's so evenly weighted between the two of them. Yeah. This is one of the first times I have ever seen a show very consciously 
and deliberately say, here you go, fandom. Here's this little thing. We're not going to have anything in particular. If you ship Mako and Korra, go to town. If you ship Asami and Korra, go to town. But the one thing they do do explicitly is, at one point, this sounds so dumb, but I, if I sit outside of myself and listen to this, this is like garbage. Asami and um, Korra, their friendship has been growing, and they've been doing a great job with that, and I really enjoy that. We've talked about in the past that we want them to be Ann Perkins and Leslie Nope at the very least. And, that actually, uh, actually, just even that relationship by itself would be pretty fantastic, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who read into that, and they're like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if there was some sort of lesbian relationship on the show, and um, wouldn't that be interesting um, to have these two women who are very different ways powerful come together and all that stuff? So there's a part where Cora, uh, Asami compliments Cora's hair, and Korra kind of awkward is like, oh, kind of touches it and compliments Asami back. She's like, oh, you always look so snazzy. Yeah. And she blushes when she says it. And it's just like this nice little loaded moment that they didn't need to do. That blush kind of speaks volumes. And that's really probably as, as, as explicit as they're going to get with yeah, anything. Yeah, because I don't think they're but, ever going to. Yeah. Well, it was, I think, I think they've said that they go, they finish, I think they've come out and said that they end the series without explicitly stating any relationship stuff one way or the other, just so people can read into anything what they want. Yeah. So, which is kind of interesting, because, you know, fandoms inevitably get into, God help us, I'm going to say the word, shipping wars. And it's interesting to have a show that consciously is like, we know this stuff happens, we're just going to let it happen, y'all do what you will, we're going to give you... They've very explicitly put a stake through the heart of uh, Korra and Mako, uh, I was just reading just an interview the other day where somebody was asking them. I think it was like an online Q&A thing where they, they were like, well, what's the chances of Korra and Mako might get back together? And they were like, none. It, like, they, yeah. they very, like, I think it's at the end of the second season where they break up. And they said they very, very specifically, they leaned on that so hard because that is done. That is gone. That's, yeah. that's not coming back. I do like there's a bit where um, where uh, the comments like, oh, man, it is just like old times because we're getting on each other's nerves again. <laughs> yeah. And, and Mock was like, yeah, we we're always on each other's nerves. That's kind of how it works. And, just, uh, but yeah, I think the guys who come thing. out and said specifically they're not going to try to do much more romance stuff, but it seems like this little little bit of gooiness between Asami and Korra is the, the only thing they're really going to do. Which is funny because uh, I love Avatar and I love the guys who make the, the show, but they've never been very good with romance stuff. The yeah. two most successful romantic couplings they've ever had on either Avatar, The Last Airbender, or The Legend of Korra have been the two relationships that everyone shipped that but that the characters but that the creators never really kind of like went out of their way to kind of do anything with and that was uh Katara and Zuko in the first series where that was a lot of people shipping that without there being much you know there wasn't much on screen stuff happening but you can still kind of see it even if you're just kind of projecting onto it you kind of see where that can go and again with Korra and Asami in this where I think they're just going to do the Katara Zuko thing where you can kind of see it working and they're not going to say anything where it's going to necessarily preclude that happening although Legend of Korra ends or the first series ends with Katara very specifically going off of someone who's not Zuko but aside from that like everything leading up to that you kind of see how that could have happened um I'm, I hopefully, hopefully they don't decide to essentially marry off Korra to someone else at the end of this series arbitrarily. Um, I don't think, I think the whole point of this series is that Korra needs to come into her own. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's kind yeah, of the that, point th- of this just season. Just even thematically, that wouldn't fit. Even if she does, 
I mean, it would be nice to the end of the series with her kissing Asami at the end. Like, no, it's, no, it wouldn't. This is about her being her own person. And being your own person means you have to figure out yourself without defining yourself with in the context of another person. And let's be honest. as soon as you have a partner. It's entirely possible they just kill off Korra and suddenly Varric becomes the main character. Varric has been so great. <laughs> Man, talk about, talk about a performance being defined by their voice actor. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the guy who does the voice of Varric. He was also in Best in Show as the, um, the one of the gay couple. Oh, that's right. I forgot uh, about that. Yeah, it's he's that a, he's guy. He's a Christopher Guest regular. Yeah, I forgot he's a about funny dude. That. Yeah. His, I've been listening to Varric's Varric voice for is... so long, I forgot who that was, but yeah. His performance of Varric is fantastic. And that episode had such good animation bits. Oh, there was and one like, part little... where he's kind of generating a, like an electromagnetic machine to fuck up these robots. Where he's kind of like, he's working on this machine, but he's wa- looking out the window to see what's going on. And he's got like a screwdriver between his teeth and something about the, yeah. the drawing and the animation of it was just so great. It was just a quick, like literally like, like yeah. half a second character moment, but it was just like, I like how he's actually like, rather than just being a secondary character, he's kind of like slowly actually becoming part of the gang. Yeah. Which is kind of great. I wouldn't go that far, but he is, he, he's I don't not know. like, he's kind of, it seems like he and Mako or he and Bolin are at least going to be off on their own for the rest of the series. Uh, um, but... he's not, but it's interesting to contrast him with the earth King. Uh, oh, which, yeah, he's who, kind of ingratiating, trying to ingratiate himself, himself into the gang, too, but yeah. Yeah, he's not, he's not... Kuzco. I mean, Varric is such a great character, and that character isn't bad, but it's just so relentlessly goofy that it's sometimes a little Well, much. that's kind of almost like what Varric started off as. I don't think there's enough yeah. time to turn the Earth King into, into somebody interesting, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if the series ends with them actually putting the Earth King on the crown, but... With his experience with the gang, suddenly he becomes, like, a little more of a responsible guy, someone you're not going to be quite so horrified to see as the leader of the Earth Kingdom. Um, yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is that this, this what, where, what's been really great with Varric in this this series is that he, Julie, has betrayed him. <laughs> I don't know, that's, that, that, that's how he's grown as a character, is by the fact that yeah. Julie's left him, and that he's so heartbroken, yeah. Exactly, he's on his own, and he's having to define himself outside of the context. Yeah, of others. which is kind of like that's a big that's a big part of Legend of Korra right there. Yeah, and then the Varric's kind of going through with that. And anyway, of course, everyone's expecting Zuli's going to end up betraying you know Kuvira and, yeah, and stuff at the end. Yeah, but like she's going to do the thing. Um, mm-hmm. But man, it's mm-hmm. I'm having a good time. I'm bummed there's only like four or five episodes left of Korra. But I know I've been enjoying Korra so much. I'm going to be sad when it's over. I, again, it's like so I said, nice. I'm just really worried about what they're going to do with this Toph thing. How they handle this because I like. <laughs> It's just so nice to have a show that's all ladies. What are you talking I mean, really. about? There's not that many ladies. It's only like two thirds of the cast are ladies who are all badass. Like, and... It is so refreshing to watch, to consume media with a female majority and not have it be anything. Yeah. Not have it be anything. It's so nice. Ugh. Anyway, uh, Bill, tell me about Doctor Who. Oh, Doctor Who ended uh, its latest season last weekend. It wasn't completely terrible, <laughs> which compared to the most recent couple seasons of Doctor Who, that's actually saying quite a lot. Um, yeah. I don't even I could even get into Doctor Who spoilers on the show just in case anyone listening hasn't seen it. But but you um, didn't you didn't hate it? It wasn't terrible. Uh, they seem to be setting up the new companion to leave the Clara lady, who everyone seems to hate. It seems like she's <laughs> going to be on her way out now. Uh, but then they also set up the the Christmas special. Uh, it's Doctor Who hanging, uh, hanging out with Santa Claus, played by Nick Frost. Oh, really? Yeah, which oh, is cute. 
Uh, people have even pointed out the fact that his name is Nick Frost and he's playing Santa Claus. Pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, but yeah, no, the Doctor Who episode was all Cybermen end up attacking and... Should, can I talk about spoilers? Because they're sure. speaking about gender stuff a little bit. Um, so... Okay, spoilers for everyone for the latest season of Doctor Who. If you want to watch the last episode, uh, skip forward a couple minutes, because uh, I'm going to talk about spoilers about the finale of Doctor Who. Okay, so for this season of Doctor Who, Doctor Who has been chased, or at least has been, there's been this lady named Missy who's been kind of like collecting all the souls of all the people who have died on the Doctor's adventures this season. Yeah. And it's just kind of like slightly older lady, kind of dressed like Mary Poppins. She seems kind of a little bit nuts, but you don't know what's going on with her. In the mm-hmm. season finale episode, it turns out that she is the master. The master. She's Missy because she's the mistress. That's exactly Dang. yes. That's <laughs> Missy is her nickname because she's now the mistress, and so and the and the master being kind of like the doctor's biggest arch nemesis. The the master has always essentially been the evil doctor, and so people are freaking out because uh, they took it. You know, uh, traditionally male character turned her into a female, turned him into a female. Um, but I was actually kind of surprised because this especially was an episode written by Stephen Moffat, who a lot of people don't yeah. like, and he's historically had a terrible, terrible way with gender stuff. And there is some really gross stuff in this season where he's, like, in the little bits you've seen her while she's kind of, like, chasing around the doctor over the course of the season, she refers to the doctor as my boyfriend. Yeah. Because because now I guess because now because she's a lady now I guess she now she has to want to fuck the doctor which is weird. But th- thankfully there's not too much of that in the season finale. It's more about her just being evil rather than being I'm a woman I want to fuck you or whatever. There's no like weird yeah. river song shit. But it's still it was actually not completely terrible. It wasn't great. There are still some funky <laughs> problems in there. But That's, you sound like me describing uh, Assassin's it Creed. It totally <laughs> is. Where it's like you can totally see the problems. But historically, given how bad some shit in this 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 series has been before, like it could have been so much worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So by virtue of the fact that it kind of just slipped and fell on its ass, but didn't break its leg, was actually kind of like a minor <laughs> miracle. So yeah, Doctor Who ended, and actually, the, uh, on the whole, the whole season itself, I would say was actually probably the best Doctor Who season since Matt Smith's first season that you liked. Um, Bill so, and Annie review media. It yeah, wasn't the yeah. absolute worst. If you ever want to get into Doctor Who again. I would have to nope. say, you do you don't want to see a ninety eight year old man, nope, running around, nope, getting chased man. by ninety year old ninety eight year old lady. We've been watching so much British Bake Off that uh, I forgot that there one of the big like nerd movements was that the when the last Doctor was gonna change and they're like oh it should be a woman that there was everyone saying it should be Sue Perkins. Now I'm really emotionally invested in Super Oh, was that a thing? Doctor Who. Yeah, that was a, a fan thing. Oh, I could have totally seen that. She would have been a cute dog. Man, she should at least be... Oh, man, that's the other thing. They totally had a cute... Like, this super cool... Uh, in the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special that aired last year, uh, they uh, came up with this character who works in this thing called Unit, which is like kind of Earth's Defense Against Aliens organization. That, you know, it essentially defends the Earth from aliens when the Doctor's not around. It's a secret organization. No one's supposed to know about it. But one of the ladies who works there is this this super nerdy lady who's the super... She's a Doctor Who fan. 
Even though she, like, you know, it's kind of this weird meta thing where she lives in the universe, but she's a huge fan of the Doctor, so she tries to dress like the Doctor and stuff, but she's super nerdy and smart. She's essentially just a fan insertion character. Yeah. And uh, one of the ways they get around to proving how evil the new mistress, the master, is, is that the uh, the master slash mistress ends up really brutally just fucking offing this nerdy Doctor Who fan lady in the middle of this this last episode of the finale, and I was like, "Damn, that's pretty." Boy, cool. what is that for subtext? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's 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 because especially with all the rumors now that this latest companion Clara is leaving, that everyone was kind of suspecting like maybe this this nerdy lady who's already the fan of the Doctor would end up being the new companion, and yeah, they get her role. So she gets off pretty fucking coldly too. It's not like she just falls down a flight of steps or like breaks her neck or anything like that. It's, it's like it's more fucked up. But you, I think uh, Clara, the companion, her boyfriend Danny Pink. I think you would think he was cute. Here, let me Google him. Just let me find yeah, out. see what happens if you just da- type in Danny Pink. Danny Pink, Doctor Who. Oh, he is cute. Yeah. Oh, that smile. Yeah. No, he's. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he girl. It's also a benefit that he's not, he's a teacher, he's an ex-soldier who's now a teacher at, a, at this elementary school. And Keep going. <laughs> he, is no, he is no fan of the doctor. He keeps on wanting to punch the doctor in the face, which is also pretty great. Again, that sounds better. That's what I'm better. saying, yeah. So if you ever want to watch mm. this latest season of Doctor Who, I think Danny Pink would ma- would make it actually kind of vaguely to- tolerable for you. Danny Pink. How you yeah, doing, There's Danny so many Pink? terrible jokes you could make about him being Danny Pink. Oh, they make uh, nothing sexual, but they do make plenty of jokes about like how effeminate his last name is on the show. But Hooray. Yeah. That's absolutely something that I'm excited about. Yeah. Making fun of gender norms. Yeah, That's so where we get bored, just type in... Yeah, I'm sure instead of watching the whole season, you could just find Danny Pink clips on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, Danny one Pink, more yes. thing before we did, like, speaking of cooking shows, the other cooking show I wanted to talk about just a little bit, the one I didn't get around to talking about, was MasterChef Junior, which uh, is, rather than Netflix, that's on Hulu Plus now. Uh, I guess this is the second season. I totally missed the first season, which I don't think is on Hulu Plus. MasterChef Junior. Do you know anything about MasterChef or Gordon Ramsay? Nope. I guess Gordon Ramsay is the big, well, like at least one of the biggest, like celebrity chefs. He shouts chefs. at people. What's That's that? all I know. He yells at people. That's all I know. That's all I know too. So I guess the whole joke is that now he's the host slash judge of this cooking show with little kids. Because that's the whole thing of MasterChef Junior. It's a bunch of, like, middle schoolers. You have to be between the ages of 9 and 12 to compete on the show. Okay. And there's only two episodes so far. And uh, there's, I think it starts out with, like, 16 kids are competing. They get rid of, like, four kids in the first episode. But despite there being so many goddamn little kids on this cooking show, there's only three kids you have to worry about. There's a little girl named uh, Abby, who is super enthusiastic, and she's trying to win the competition so she can get enough money to donate money to charity and then buy a horse. But <laughs> Abby's super cute. She's dressed super colorfully, and she has little glasses on, and she just roots for everyone else. And she wants to make – she hates it when anyone loses, and she's just super enthusiastic, supporter of everyone else on the show. It's very goddamn cute. Uh, there's a boy, there's a fat kid named Samuel who's this super hyper pretentious wannabe master chef who's just like, oh, indubitably, I must make the souffle. I must ascend to the heights of cooking stardom. Everyone hates his fucking guts. If you ever get bored, type in Master Chef Samuel into Twitter, and it's nothing but people talking about how much they want to punch this, like, 12-year-old kid in the <laughs> face. 
and the third kid that you, the only other the kid you have, if you ever end up watching the show, you have to uh, keep an eye on, is this nine-year-old girl named Una, who seems to be the best chef, who is super goddamn cute and precocious, and she's like something like out of a goddamn Pixar movie. Yeah. And it, it's it's pretty cute because aside from just doing cooking stuff, they do like goofy little kid stuff like there's this the second episode is all about like making pancakes and the competition isn't so much who can make the best pancakes as who can make the most pancakes and whoever gets to make the biggest stack of pancakes gets exempt from like the next cooking challenge but the thing is then then like as whoever gets to also whoever gets to make the biggest stack of pancakes aside from being exempt from the next challenge they get to dump a whole bunch of syrup onto gordon ramsay's head so it's kind of, it's a little double dare-ish at the same time. It's kind of sure. cute, especially for someone like Gordon Ramsay, who's known to be such a hard-ass, having to, like, host this kid show. And he seems to actually be having a good time. He must have kids or something like that, because he seems yeah. like he's he's got, like, some kind of, like, parental thing that kicks in, where he's not such a complete, like, just like, oh, I'm gonna kill you, blah, blah, blah. But, man, it's just funny how much these kids, that the personality in some of these kids were, like, either some of them are great, or some of them you just want to strangle. And I don't know. It's 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 pretty fun. So Master Chef Junior. It's at least entertaining. Oh, children! All right, friends. We're gonna take a little break, and then we'll be back for the Geek Week in review. Like a lot of little bubbles, I can dream away my troubles, dreaming of my romance. With someone's pretty daughter In a land across the water I dreamed I was back in France Alright friends, welcome back. Before we dive into the Geek Week interview, Telltale Games, we have two pieces of news to discuss that we neglected to speak on before. First was that, uh, Bill, did you watch Telltale's Tales from Borderlands launch trailer? No, thing? why? What happened? Is that well, out they now? they just released it. Well, I, excuse me, it wasn't a genuine launch trailer. It was just a gameplay trailer. And that shit looks cute! So, wait, so it's, this is Telltale's, it's in another RPG? Uh, this is a, well, it's an adventure game set in the Borderlands universe, where, which, by the way, is the best way to get me into the Borderlands universe in a non-shooter game. It's a traditional game. man, there's game. not much to this. I'm hoping this fleshes that, that universe, because there's not much to that universe. But it's about, uh, 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 Laura Bailey, who's my, she voiced my favorite boss in, uh, Saints Row. Oh, yeah? And Troy Baker play these two main characters who get seem to get wrapped up in this heist. Uh, one is a heister and the other is a, I think, part of the corporation. He's like in middle management and he's trying to get out. And uh, uh, wackiness ensues. And what's interesting is that you get to play, both. it seems like you get to play both characters from both their point of views during the course of the game. So it seems it seems interesting and cute. So and what? So it. like pre, like predetermines like you, like you jump back and forth between the two characters at predetermined points of view like for parts of the game. I don't. They they just say in the trailer that you get to you're both. Characters. Okay, I don't know if you could flip off like you know, uh, switch between the two on the fly or what, but you know. uh, it's an established mechanic in adventure games in the past. Like it was best used in um, Day of the Tentacle. For some and reason, I'm say... thinking back to like Resident Evil Two where you could switch between. Uh, Claire Redfield and Leon Kennedy, like on a whim, but in, that was in an Day of the Tentacle, game. which was uh, Tim Schafer, one of Tim Schafer's best adventure games at LucasArts. Um, there were puzzle; you had to switch three between three main characters. Oh, that's and true. What were, we're talking about? Yeah, that, that, that has been a thing. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, yeah. It comes out, the first episode comes out November 25th. So, very much so I wonder us. what they might do, because, yeah, along with the uh, Borderlands stuff, they're teasing about how, uh, th- this week they started teasing about how their Game of Thrones game is coming out sooner than everyone had anticipated. Which, I wonder if what they may end up doing is, if they have two different teams working on these games, I wonder if, in order to give themselves extra time between updates, if they might maybe alternating between Borderlands and Game of Thrones for the next couple months. They're, they did the same thing with Wolf Among Us and uh, Walking Dead. That got fucked two. up because Wolf Among Us started getting to the point where you had a couple months between episodes. This is true. But my yeah. point is that there was, you know, you'd play one episode and then there'd be an episode of the other. So, watch, so. I wonder if that means we're going to get Game of Thrones right around Christmas then. I wonder. Yeah. But uh, the other thing that you see in the trailer is that other um, uh, Patrick Warburton totally does the voice in this game. Oh, really? Which delighted me. That yeah. might get me. This is what like what stuff the 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 Borderlands game is on. Like, oh, it's on, it's a Telltale game, so it'll be on everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Windows, Mac, PlayStation Three, PlayStation Four, Vita. Okay, as long as it's not Xbox just like because what wasn't uh, Wolf Among Us? Was that on the PlayStation Four? I think yeah. that's the reason why I didn't play it. That was the last. That. Aside that from the, the fact that I don't care about gen. fables, but yeah, um, man, Wolf Among Us will not benefit from playing it all in one sitting. That was a game that benefited from multiple months between episodes. Yeah, I'll tell you that. But anyway, uh, I'm excited about that. But yeah, the other thing is, literally, as we were recording, Bill pointed me to a link of rumored screenshots from Telltale's Game of Thrones game. What's interesting about their Game of Thrones game is that. Unlike the Walking Dead game, which was set in the world of the comics and not the world of the show, this one is explicitly set in the world of the TV show and, in fact, includes likenesses of all the characters. Yeah, so the first uh, screenshots they put out today, it's, it's, it's Cersei Lannister, Tywin Lan- or not uh, Tyrion Lannister, and all those guys, yeah. Natalie yeah. Dormer. And they look great. Telltale, I've always, one of my dings against Telltale has been their aesthetics and that there was a set telltale aesthetic that i didn't necessarily like but they started kind of playing with it like explicitly the like the um the the textures that they put on the characters and like like all that shit they've been playing with that a lot more with um fable with walking dead and then um wolf among us and to the point where the games even if they're not necessarily like cutting gen graphics at least look really cool and they look interesting, like visually interesting. And this, what they've done, these Walking te- Dead screenshots are, excuse me, these uh, Game of Thrones tre- screenshots are beautiful. Uh, this is cool. interesting just from the perspective that it's the first Walking Dead or uh, Telltale game in a long time that hasn't been cell shaded. Yeah. Yeah. And so instead, it's uh, they're still kind of going for a s- kind of slightly chunky, slightly kind of, s- not cartoony, but kind of exaggerated caricature, a little bit of a look. But with kind of like instead of cell shaded textures, kind of like more painter painterly uh, kind of textures, which is nice. Not like photorealistic textures, but more. I don't know. It looks like it, kind of interesting. It looks very much so like the same aesthetic of Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us, except with no black yeah, shit. The, the, the text. Well, I'm saying that like the character designs. Like if you just took straight up took these character designs, they could translate very easily to those worlds. So it's just those final steps of the textures and the the cell shading. Have you been keeping up with the show? Oh fuck no! I stopped watching a while ago. Like in the fourth, is it the fourth or fifth screenshot? There's a character in the back. I'm trying to figure out if that's supposed to be um, who's the brother? 
uh, Cersei's brother. Uh, Goddamn, what if we're forgetting these characters' names? Anyway, this doesn't make any sense if people are just listening to this at home. They can't see what the pictures that we're looking at. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, so I guess um, you're supposed to be playing as one of the lesser families uh, that are associated with like Deepwood Mod or something like that. It's I forget the name mm-hmm. of the family, but I remember like I it's it's if you've ever watched the show or read the books you'd recognize it but i can't remember any of the specifics about that family it's definitely you're not you're not playing as the lannisters or starks or anything like that but you're i yeah i'm not quite sure what the well they haven't said anything about the game they just said like they were talking like up until this week they were just saying hey we're making a game of thrones games no no details came out until uh telltale's marketing strategy is really weird because they they tend to announce that they have a property and then really keep things under wraps Until pretty much they're announcing a release date for the first episode, which usually is only a month after they've announced well, it. I get the feeling that's because they're working on the game so much that even when they announce it, they're not quite sure what the game's going to be until, like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like a chef. Like, they'll tell it's... you, like, I'm going to make this, but I'm not quite sure what it's going to be until it's almost ready to serve, so. Telltale is interesting because the vibe I get from it, and this is entirely from playing their games, is that they're interesting because they're... Their games hinge on narrative and character more than anything else because they're using the Telltale engine, so you can more or less expect what what you're going to get from a gameplay perspective. But they seem to put the hustle on development. Mm -hmm. Like It does not seem like they really give you time to really think about and develop these ideas. It's like, and not only that, like a game, they're going to put different teams on each episode so they can, while one is churning on one, the other is churning on another. It seems like a... like a assembly line of narrative and character based games, which is just interesting. Interesting. I I'm I'll support them. Like I think I think that at the end of the day, their their focus is on the things that I value in games. And even an unsuccessful Telltale game, I think, is worthwhile. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting. From it's a very uh, game gameplay perspective. I hope they kind of mix things up a little bit, so it's not just like the exact same. I mean, Grant, my, my only like real the exact same. knowledge of Telltale stuff is just The Walking Dead, but from what I've heard uh, people talking about, like, the uh, the season two of The Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us, like, in terms of, like, the character, or, like, dialogue choices and stuff, and kind of, like, the time mechanics and stuff, it was very much just, just The Walking Dead stuff, and with just, like, different characters and different stories plugged into it. Like just, That's exactly what it's going to be. I know, Why would they? like, even, know... like, the way you choose dialogue options and stuff, it would be nice if they try to, like, I don't know, some kind of new mechanics or try to freshen things up a little Why bit break what works honestly i don't care about the game like the actual mechanics as much as i do care about just the fact that it still chugs and it's still, like there's still like the delay between transitions and there are times when the world is changing based on choices you've made that it just kind of stutters a little bit and or you know, know sometimes that... their games are just so buggy sometimes they just don't work and saves get deleted and Corrupted. I know that they're ultimately at the end of the day, it seems like, like I said, they're trying to whip this shit out. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm glad that there is an independent developer doing this stuff. And I know that they have to work fast just to stay alive. I get that. Like, again, this is all just me reading from the outside. But yeah, it's just. That's a damn good Cersei, I... though. Looking at these screen caps, though. Just just like, I'm kind of yeah. impressed. To... Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So, yeah, I'm trying to also figure out the scope of this game, because, like, I, you're going to go to King's Landing, and you're going to see, like, four screens of, like, <laughs> you're going to be, like, t- there's going to be two screens of, like, the Red Keep, 
there's going to be like someone's kitchen and then like i don't know yeah it's it's because that's a pretty vast world with a bazillion characters and they don't have the budget to like actually present all those characters kind of i'm very curious to see what their focus of this of this uh game series is i'm sure it's going to be not dissimilar from other telltale games where you're going from scene to scene at some point there may be a moment where you can choose between an array of scenes to interact with yeah and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I'll be curious because I feel like their their hands are tied by the limits of the Telltale engine and also that the fact that they have to put this out on every single fucking platform. I also wonder who's going to be doing the voices for this game because I'm that's, sure it's not going to be the, the, the actors. The terrible yeah. thing is if, if, if uh, Peter Dinklage's work in Destiny is anything to go by, you're probably better off recasting him for, for the Game of Thrones game. Otherwise, he's just going to be like, hello there. I have something went, to tell you. Yeah, it'll be interesting because very clearly they went to all, through all the legal hurdles of being able to do physical likenesses. Yeah. I'll be curious to see if they were able to get the cast because that would be a big feather in their hat, especially if they're stressing that this is the world of the show. It would be weird to do that without having it be the actual cast. Well, did you hear what they're but, doing uh, to cut corners for this episode, too? Is Instead of doing the uh, the, the animated lip sync, they're just uh, doing the clutch cargo thing where it's just going to be uh, projected <laughs> live-action lips over the character face models. <laughs> that would be so Hello good. Hello there. That would be so good. Uh, Alright, friends, believe it or not, we are on the Geek Week in Review. Yeah. This is the portion of our show where we, uh, Bill has written down all of the news in the week that was, and I am many times learning about, but definitely reading these things. Yeah, it's really not the Geek Week news and review as much as the, here's the shit that Bill was interested in this week, and Annie has to put up with it. <laughs> Alright, friends, the most I'm glad you put this first, because this is the most interesting thing that happened this week. Humanity land a washing machine-sized robot on a comet. Woo! It's intense. And also that I guess the comet ran out of energy and is now kind of quasi-dead? Yeah, the so they landed this, uh, it's not a rover, it's not a probe, I guess? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I, I should have read a little more into this. Shame I, I didn't before. read into that much more, too, just because, yeah, I don't know. They landed this probe on this comet and to get, you know, to do research on a comet because we don't really know what the surface of a comet looks like or what its composition is because we only, you know, we only get to see comets. We can study meteorites, yeah. but that's, you know, It's different. funny because the most educational thing to come out of this whole thing is everyone finding out how big the comet is in relation to other things. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed to be most of the articles I saw. I was like, this is so much bigger than the Empire State Building. This is about it's... half the size of the Death Star. Yeah. It's fascinating because they launched this probe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I saw on Twitter this amazing animated gif that was just showing the arc of this probe and that it took where basically they it whipped out against uh, the gravity pulls of a couple of planets in order to just like intersect with the flight of, with the path of this comet at this exact moment in time. Like just the fact that they were able to do this and get any data from it is a huge accomplishment. Huge accomplishment. You know the fact that the ESA was able to land launch a comet probe and land it in less time than it took between the release of half-life 2 and the announcement of half-life 3 because people are freaking out i guess today is the 10th anniversary of half-life 2 coming out and so people have been making the joke of like rrr, 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 it's taking a humanity could launch a probe to a comet in less time than it takes valve to make a goddamn sequel to their video game anyway but yeah no i mean that's a hell of a thing and also is the esa which the, so what is the ESA? It, uh, that's the uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration for uh, English as a Second Language people. 
which that's even that's even a prouder accomplishment. Phil, I didn't even see that joke coming. <laughs> well done, Fred. Yeah, no. So it was a Mexican washing machine. They landed on a comet, which that's even more impressive. <sighs> uh, no, the ESA is the European Space Agency. Yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, one of the big things that got around this week was uh, the backlash against one of the scientists who was involved in this. I only heard about this in the periphery of my internet knowledge. Yeah, what happened here exactly? So, this guy, and to be fair, so there's always a thing when you are a person... Yeah, try to put this delicately. You are just an average Joe. (laughs) Just an average Joe. And perhaps, I shouldn't make any generalizations, but perhaps you're in an an industry where how you dress... Not matters that much, yeah. Anyway, at the end of the day, this was one scientist guy appeared on this live stream talking about the... And was talking to a female journalist about the launch wearing a t-shirt... Or wearing a, a like a bowling shirt that was covered festooned with like pinup drawings of women in leather like leather gear with guns. Yeah, it was like I don't know where you get this shirt. Like it seems like I would assume he wears this every day, so he has an inside line on where to get these shirts. But if you want to dress up like this on purpose, I have no idea how you would actually do it. Because where do you get a shirt like this? Even yeah, internet. Yeah, I know, question. but yeah, but. Yeah, it's like, and I get it, you know, it's like, it's an exciting day, he wants to wear, like, maybe his and he's just wearing his whatever, or... yeah, he's not really paying attention, but yeah. It, it, this is not a person who is in the public eye, yeah. but in this moment, he was. And unfortunately, it's just like, you know, there are all the issues with women in, in, in STEM, that it is called. Science, technology, uh, English as a second language, Mexicans? And mathematics? Yeah, that's right, I don't know right, what the yeah. E stands for. But anyway, you know, the women are not are not necessarily made to feel welcome in the culture of those industries. And it was just this moment where this dude was kind of like obliviously feeding into that, and that alienation. And a few commenters online pointed that out. It was like, oh man, dude, really? Basically summed it up. And got death threats and rape threats because of the internet. Though my favorite response to all this was um, journalist uh, Kara Ellison, who is a hoot. She said something like, I can't wait until I'm involved in some sort of scientific discovery and I can just show up in my shirt that says, I love huge wangs with dicks written all over it. <laughs> and, and she's like, and wait for the mild applause. Well, kind of the bad thing, too, is like when he did issue a public apology, he was like on a panel. He started, he started crying pretty bad, too. See, that's the thing he told Again, this is this is more obliviousness than just. Yeah. I don't think there. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no acrimony behind this or anything. Like he's just he's just being an idiot nerd. What could be worse than being just a person? Like it's like if I, I, I've been thinking about this lately because fully befriended a bear, a guy who's pretty active in the bear community, yeah. and I I love bears. I love the culture around bears. I find them charming and great. And I've always kind of wanted to go to, like, a bear party or something, but I feel weird as a bisexual woman in a relationship with a lesbian going to a gay male <laughs> event. And uh, and I and I worry that I'm, like, appropriating parts of this culture. Because, like, I have a... a, a there's a great uh, product line called Massive 
that does like all sorts of celebrations of gay manga that kind of plays into what America would be called bear culture. And uh, uh, there's one artist in it. I got this shirt of one of his pieces that I have, but I can never wear it because I feel like I'm appropriating a culture that I'm not part of and never can be part of. Mm -hmm. So I've been very conscious of like, I'm like, man, I can't ever wear this. And I feel like it'd be like if I, obliviously, because I never think about this stuff, were like interviewed for something wearing this like masculine bear culture sort of shirt and like people being like, that motherfucker. And I'm not trying to be emblematic of anything. Thing. I just like this shirt. Oh, yeah, like, it's like I feel bad for him, even as I feel like that is not necessarily acceptable. But I can totally see, like you don't, you know. I do think the more you worry about the stuff, the more you're pretty much exempt from having to worry about that too much. Because as long as you're conscious about that, that 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 that, I mean, granted, if you step on someone else's toes culturally, that's still not going to make them feel any better. But at least if yeah. you're that worried about it, the chances of you accidentally stepping on someone's toes in the begin with. Probably less than enough that you should be able to, I don't know, you shouldn't have to worry too much about it. You, you don't have to second guess yourself too much, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah. It's like, especially in the internet era. <laughs> what when happens it's so at bear easy... parties anyway? Bears hang out. Do they have sex? Is it a sex party? Who knows? Well, Bill, I'm guessing I wouldn't be invited to a sex party. I'm just going to guess Well, that's that, what I was wondering. Like, like is it because all the bears bear start having sex, then you fully, I mean, I mean, you guys could throw, like, yeah, what do you do? Well... Did you? Well, I mean, I'm presuming they're not all just fucking each other either at all, at all times. <laughs> Some of them are baking. Uh, did you uh, do anything? Have you heard anything about Hump that happened this this week, the sex festival here in Portland? A sex festival. Hump, for those of you who don't know, who don't live in the Pacific Northwest, is a film festival where average Joes can make and submit pornography. There is a, a panel selection process. The um, the pornography is screened only at the festival and then is destroyed. Which afterwards. I didn't hear about that. I knew about the pornography, but that's, that's actually a pretty great idea for a sex festival. So the whole idea is that it is a safe way to embrace and explore yours and other sexuality without the threat of it being... Which I've heard a couple people on my Twitter feed, people who I'm friends with, have talked about like going to see their projects there, and I'm like, what the hell have people I know have been involved with? And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that's that's good on them, but like, yeah, okay, yeah. people have multiple sides to them that I that I don't even get to see, which is always yeah. great. So yes, Hump was this weekend. Yeah. Bill, did you have anything to say about Hump? Beyond uh, that? they rejected rejected my short film Blumpkin. <laughs> okay, wait. Presumably it's your sex pumpkin, but where does the blah come in? Yeah, you never heard about blumpkins? Do I not want to know? Yeah, look it up. Nope. Then read it <laughs> nope. and tell us what it is. Nope. <laughs> it's actually not that bad. It's just kind of stupid. Here, here I'm going to do blumpkin urban dictionary. I will <laughs> read it. Read it. I will not look at it. I There's refuse. no pictures. I'm looking at it right now. It's just a text description. Oh. <laughs> Read it. No. The, no, I'm not engaging with that one, Bill. Hey, guys, let's move on. Guys, for the podcast, do not Google Blump. I like that we have do the episode not. title. No. No. Really? No. Bill, well, if you do that, would know I'm what that is. Already knows what it is. I will not record ever again. <laughs> That will be all of my work, like all my concerns about the worst of this podcast in one go, and that will kill it for me. Bill. Would you prefer that or Danny Pink and my stink? <laughs> uh, maybe the episode title might be just called Danny Stink. You know how uh, 
hump is nice because it's a play. It's a safe place, and like yeah. Any nice? the more howdy podcast is the next best thing because there's so few people listen to this podcast. Might as well be destroyed after we're finished recording it anyway. <laughs> in other news, in the Geek Week oh review. Oh my god. Whoa. Some new guy has been hired to write the Uncharted movie, but more interesting than that is the news that Sony offered the role of Nathan Drake to Chris Pratt, who turned them down. Yeah. Oh, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy last night, and I was kind of thinking about that, and I was like, he could have made a, he would have made a better Nathan Drake than a lot of other people. Better yeah. than who are they? Who was the first? Uh, when what's oh, his was face gonna was going to uh, make the Uncharted movie? Who was going to uh, be his choice? Say your mother hello for me. Tell your mother hello for me. What is his name? Marky Mark. Oh, that's right. Mark yeah. Wahlberg. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you need somebody who is kind of a charming goofball. Preferably, you find someone new. You find the next Nathan Fillion who's not Nathan Fillion yet. It shouldn't be that hard to find someone who could play that role. Um, it shouldn't be that hard to find someone who just drips with charisma, but is able to do a physically demanding role. <laughs> and it shouldn't who be that won't charge too much money for the next six sequels. Just um, not, no big deal. Chris Pratt. I just fucking do it and coast. Uh, be fine. You get Rashida Jones to play Nathan Drake. Christoph Waltz will be in Bond 24, which is funny, Bill notes, because the Bond girl in the same movie is supposed to be Leigh Seydoux. I think it's Leigh Seydoux. Who played one of the French daughters that Waltz terrorized at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, so everyone's assuming that he's playing the bad guy in Bond 24. Which I'd like to see him play not necessarily the bad bad guy, but like maybe like someone who you can't trust. Maybe he's the new M. No, because you already do have the new M. Oh, that's true. Remember, this, this is going to be the first Bond where you have like all those elements back in place. Where you've got dude M, you've got money penny. You got actually Christoph Waltz. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But like, I, I was just being a dick. I don't actually want him to be M. I was just riffing because I forgot. No, we do but have he a could new be M. like. Well, I guess you do have Q and stuff in there too. So there's not no, like. What if Money Penny dies and he becomes a new Money Penny and he's just like super like lethal <laughs> to like his secretary? He's he, he's Bond's new gay panic secretary. You know what? I absolutely want. I want the confident women to be removed from James Bond. So thanks, <laughs> thanks. man. That's gonna bum me up because I love the lady who they got to play Money Penny. She was uh, one of my favorite parts of Twenty Eight Days Later. Later, and I hopefully Money Penny just is not relegated to just being a desk clerk for the rest of like you know the tw- yeah. next like eight James Bond movies. Because yeah. even though she kind of fucked up in the field in Skyfall. Be nice to see if she actually got involved in the action every once in a while. Yeah, Bond definitely fucked up in the field enough of these movies. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. Money Penny. Roll with him. Skyfall. I need to watch Skyfall again. I had a good time with that movie. I wonder if it holds up after not seeing it for a year or two. Um, But yeah, Christoph Waltz. (laughs) It's, um, speaking of Christoph Waltz, uh, Django Chain just uh, just came to Netflix, too, and I just watched that this week. Man, I forgot. I really dig Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I really dig Christoph Waltz in that movie. He's one of my yeah. favorite char- uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. Oh, yeah. he's one of my favorite characters in... <laughs> he's also just one of my I, favorite. I'm with you. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters you. in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, um, that movie, it's... Yeah. What? It's it's a fun movie. It's kind of weird, because the more I, I, I... So I've seen it, watching it again this week, everyone talks about how like such a crazy black fantasy revenge epic. It's really more of a white apologist... Mm-hmm. revenge fantasy than it is because watching it it really is as much about Christoph Waltz as, as it is about Django and Django is one of the least interesting characters in that movie yeah he's the well I mean he's supposed to be a slave and he's not really had as much agency in his life it kind of makes sense that he's not super 
his own person, I guess. But yeah, he is kind yeah. of underwritten. Uh, the way Jamie Foxx, which is funny because I, I am not a Jamie Foxx fan. I think Jamie Foxx is kind of terrible in a lot of the stuff I've seen him in. And he's in one of my favorite movies ever, Toys. <laughs> and that's saying a lot because I love everything <laughs> about Toys. But he, I, the best thing he's ever done for me is, is Django Unchained. But yeah, watching that movie again, especially with so much about like the conflict between um, Christoph Waltz and Leonardo DiCaprio, that's so much a thing of the movie. I don't know, it's something about the movie, yeah. That's more white apologist. In a way, I actually think it's fine because as a, as a white guy, of course, I'm thinking, yeah, as, as, as a liberal girl white guy, that's kind of as much porn to me as it is like revenge black fantasy stuff. But anyway, what are we talking about? Man, I need. I'm really ready for another Quentin Tarantino Lady Vengeance movie. What's his next project? Oh, he's doing the Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight, which I think has like I think Zoe Bell is one of the only women in it. So yeah, no, not... I think it's eight dudes, maybe just Zoe Bell, like locked up in some kind of saloon for a winter or something like that. Um, I'm also ready for someone other than Quentin Tarantino to take up that mantle. Uh, I think Zoe the last... Bell employer. The last, no, 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 of the Lady lady Badass movie. Because, like, I'm hungry for another one. It's been a while. What was the last good That's one? That's one of the reasons. Uh, I really liked, hey, I feel like Haywire and Hannah were the best Lady Vengeance movies we've had in a I while. need to see uh, Hannah, because I only saw that one time with you in the theaters. And I thought it was pretty, I was entertained, but I was not knocked out. You, you are so funny. You have a habit of dismissing something because, like, ah, it's like X. Let's hey. well, the same way it was with like Interstellar. Like, that's a half the things I ever watch where I'm like, eh. Yeah. But then I'll go back and watch it again later. I'm like, oh, okay, I actually enjoy this more now. Now that I know what to expect going back to rewatch it. Yeah. yeah. I will fully admit that Hannah, because it's the sort of thing where I am so excited. Like the, Hannah and Haywire, I'm willing to give them a lot of passes just because they meet like the certain parameters. So I. Any, you wanna, anyway. We need to set aside a Saturday in the future so we could watch Hannah, Haywire, and play some Hohoka. <laughs> Uh, Margot Robbie will play Harley Quinn in the Suicide Squad movie. Who the hell is Margot Robbie? Here you go. This is your super badass lady movie thing. Uh, yeah. You, you you know who she is. You've oh, seen lady. her at least. Oh, she was in Wolf of Wall Street. Seriously? That is her one big thing, yeah. Oh, She's Australian, no less. Seriously? But she did such a great, like, Queen's accent in that movie. It's like, oh my god. Ugh. What? <laughs> you don't approve? I can't think of anyone better to play Harley Quinn right now. She'd be great. I'm so not aware of current media that I'm the last person to know that. Uh, so, well, anyway, she, so she's. Did I mention specifically that she's going to play Harley Quinn in the Suicide Squad yeah. movie? Which I don't know that much about Sui- uh, Suicide Squad. There is a podcast that I listen to called The hey, Geek Bill, Box. My house is about to get noisy. Why? What's up? For just a moment. Oh, no, someone's just about to ring my doorbell. So you may want to know. Oh, is your friend just show up? Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll wrap this up soon so you can hang out. Oh, too. no, no, no. No, no. I'm not saying let's cut out because Foley and they can hang out. Oh, I'm no, but I'm just saying. But yeah, exactly. If there's a doorbell and a bunch of like cats freaking out, I understand. Uh, more to the point, there will be a dog barking in just a second. Wait, do you guys so. have a dog? No, Miss Virginia is visiting. Oh, that's who. Oh, super cool. That's always a good. T- yeah. That's always a good excuse for noises when Miss Virginia shows up, which is a goddamn cute little. What kind of dog is Miss Virginia? Miss Virginia is a corgi mutt. Oh, so cute. She's got corgi in her. Oh, man, Foley was polite and respectful, and she had the door open so there wouldn't be a doorbell chime Aww. for our podcast. So, do you know much about Suicide Squad? 
Uh, Suicide Squad. I don't know a damn thing about Suicide Squad. Is this the the DC version of the Sinister Six? I think so, where it's a bunch of uh, DC villains are contracted by, I think it's like the FBI or the government or something like that, and essentially sent on suicide missions. The idea that, like, oh, if, wait, if they complete these missions... superheroes? What's that? Are they basically heroes? Yeah, it's supposed to be. They're, 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 they're the protagonists. Interesting. So, so it'll be like, it could be like, like... I don't know if there's a very specific... I don't know what the roster always is, but I know that, I guess, Harley Quinn, obviously, I guess, is, like, one of the members sometimes. Um, but the other... I'm Regardless of who's playing Harley Quinn, yeah, I'm really going to be bummed if, instead of, like, the Paul Dini Batman Adventures uh, Harley Quinn, if it's, like, slutted up video game hot topic yeah. Harley Quinn, because that's going to be super fucking disappointing. Um, yeah. So, oh well. Uh, B- Bill notes the Suicide Squad movie in which Jared Leto has been rumored to be playing the Joker, which got Bill and Carla Z joking about how they should just cast Joker, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy with the cast of My So Called Life. Yeah, Jared Leto as the Joker would be fucking terrible. I can't even remember his face. He's got such pretty eye. girl eyes that, like, oh that guy, oh, he, he would distract from the rest of his makeup. He would just um... stare into your soul while gutting you with a knife. Uh, Jared Leto, okay. he's he's also. It sounds like he's he's a complete fucking airhead too. It doesn't speaking sound like he's a bad guy. Airheads, What's that? I just saw. Uh, speaking of complete fucking airheads, I just saw this headline. I haven't read any more about this, but <laughs> yeah. this is so amazing. While being arrested after a DUI, the guy from Cake Boss reportedly told the arresting officers, "You can't arrest me. I'm the Cake <laughs> Boss." Which that's all you need to know about that. <laughs> Speaking of reality TV show cooking bullshit, have you seen? I Cake want Boss? that to be true so badly. Yeah, I know that. Well, you know, someone's got to be selling that on Etsy as a bumper sticker already. You can't arrest me. Yeah. I'm the Cake Boss. Which you oh know, actually, God. if you died, that would not be the worst last words. No. <laughs> would it be the best? But would it be the you worst? When Grim Reaper comes for him, he's gonna be. You can't take me. Can't take me. I'm, I'm the, the cake, cake boss. boss. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? That guy talks. He would be like, "Yeah, I'm the cake boss." La familia. No, I've not seen. I've not seen cake. Oh, boss. cake boss again. Well, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but it's been on Netflix. That show is terrible. So it's about it's so it's 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 the dude. His name is Buddy. I forget his last name. It, it, Buddy is the cake boss, and he he runs this bakery staffed with his family, and they're all just the most kind of like dirty ass, just weird. New Jersey, just Guido, just like the the uncle of the family got busted for being a child molester a couple years ago. Oh my god! The cakes they make are super fucking ugly. It's Cake Boss only came about because what was the original cake show? Was it Ace of Cakes? Yeah, which kind of started yeah. off like kind of like the whole big like we make crazy cakes and we're gonna make a reality show uh, thing. Uh, so yeah, Cake Boss was the first kind of big knockoff of that. But, like, it's a mesmerizing show because it's such a fucking train wreck of, of, a, of a program. <laughs> and, like I said, the cakes they make for all these, like, foundations and stuff. And, like, for the Girl Scouts and this and that. The cakes are just so fucking hideous. No one on that <laughs> staff can draw or sculpt. <laughs> but, it, they, but the head boss is, hey, I'm buddy. I'm the cake boss. I'm going to make your shitty cake for $100. It's just, I don't know. It's mesmerizing. <laughs> and the fact that this guy got busted. He was also, like, driving, like, a yellow... Lamborghini or something like that through like downtown Manhattan. He was drunk yeah. and just I can't arrest me on the cake box. That okay, you well, know what? That might be the title of this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, oh, man. Intel reinstated its ad campaign on Game of Sutra. Hello? Sorry, did I'm um, sorry. I think we had a little hiccup there. Sorry, friend. So what I said was, Intel reinstated its ad campaign on Game of Sutra. Woo! Despite Gamergate's protests, or excuse me, Gamergate, this is of course, Intel pulled its uh, ads from Game of Sutra after getting pushed from Gamergate to uh, stop supporting Game of Sutra as the site supported bullying. Yeah, Intel very and, specifically uh, came out and said this is not just like a one-off thing. Like They've reinstated their whole campaign. It's not just the, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so good on them. Yeah. That's the one big quote-unquote win from Gamergate. Ga- I hate been, to say uh, this because as a white guy... As a straight white guy, I don't get to make these judgment calls. But from my perspective, and from hearing other people talk about it, it seems like the Gamergate thing's starting to wind down a little bit. Not that they're, you know, these people aren't still attacking women all over the internet, but like this very specific instance of like them going after websites and stuff. Like, like I've seen a lot of posts from within Gamergate where they're freaking out about how like their movement is obviously stalled and it's not taken off the way they thought it was gonna. Because I think they were expecting by now that, like, they would be, like... They, they're, they're saying that, like, like, shit like this, like, the Gama Sutra stuff, like, is not going to be... Like, they can't, like, cow these companies forever and stuff like that, which I'm kind of yeah. glad. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so... Yeah, I've seen, like, a lot of their newest operations that they keep on trying to organize are, like, Operation Bounce Back and Operation Revenge and, like, Operation No, We're Not Losing This Battle Yet, But We Can Keep On Fighting kind of stuff, so... The unfortunate thing about Gamergate is that there only need to be, like, 10 or 20 dedicated trolls yeah, exactly, to make people's yeah. lives miserable. Miserable. It's like internet, like, guerrilla warfare. That's really what it is. Yeah, so. I mean, the internet is so good at enabling that sort of trolling that it's just... Well, it's never going to end. No, it's like there's no... That's just that the nature the of the nature internet. That's so. the nature of the internet. And it's just the cost of doing business. And that's so sad. Yeah. If, like... Like, that's one of the reasons, like, if that happened to me, God help me, I would just fucking withdraw from the internet, because that's the safest way to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's so, uh, that's so frustrating. Woof. Did you read about the, the troll that came out in the sci-fi community recently? Oh, what happened? So there's this, I'm officially talking outside of my wheelhouse here, but there's a mem- uh, this one writer in the uh, sci-fi community who is identifies as a young woman, uh, Chinese-born woman living in Thailand, writing sci-fi, and it just came out that, and she's been, you know, up and coming, and you know, getting some short stories and gotten some books published. It's just been revealed that this woman has also been this really nasty troll that's been active in the um, the kind of. But no other way to say it, the marginalized sci-fi community for the last 10 years just been like telling people they should kill themselves and making all sorts of racist and transphobic commentary and it's it's been like a sustained 10 year campaign and reading this article is just fascinating because it's not often that you hear about people being exposed like that like a core member of a community so this actually was of... like an Asian a South a lady from Southeast well, see, Asia the thing is, is that now it's like how how what do we know is true of this person's online identity if we know that they already had this other online identity you know hmm. 
So it was just interesting. This article was interesting for many reasons, not just into this glimpse of a person being exposed to a troll and then having to deal with that and how do you apologize for almost driving people to suicide for 10 years. And uh, also it was fascinating because they, all these sci-fi writers primarily use live journals. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, so it was like this lovely little flashback. Well, how are you gonna write about the future if you don't remind yourself <laughs> of the not... past? <laughs> um, wow, but really? Yeah, live just, journal, uh, Jesus think... Christ! Well, I guess you like just... love this. If you if you're in love with the sound of your own voice enough, I guess live journal is the best place to be, where you get to blog as <laughs> much as you I want. Miss live journal. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's just it's just an, an interesting reminder that like the internet can be it has been so important to me and so powerful to me and I've met so many amazing people through the internet, not the least of which is Mr. Bill Mudrin. But it's just this two double edged blade oh, yeah, totally, and it's yeah. really it's just a, it's really you're just a matter of time and there is nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. That's why the internet's stupid. We should blow it all up, just play Legos. It's dumb. It's dumb. That's how you anyway. I, I finished building... Oh, you saw it last week. I finished building my first uh, Star Wars Lego cantina. I did. I'm so proud of you, What Bill. are you working on today? You're, you're organizing your Lego bits. I was going to not talk about Lego this week and be an adult, but I'm just organizing. Okay, okay. okay, okay, stuff. okay. I got the winter catalog this week. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm just... Did you see the screenshots of the detective, the detective's office? Yeah, I'm glad to see they're coming out with another creator set, because, you know, that's the same series of the Parisian Restaurant and all the other stuff I really like. Man, now, like, again, the way you got me turned on to the Haunted Mansion, like, I saw you were talking about the, what is it, the Town Hall? Which is, like, the biggest of yeah. those, like, town, the city town stuff. Man, now I'm like, oh, man, Town Hall looks pretty sweet. <laughs> Bill, don't spend a thousand dollars on discontinued Lego sets. No, yeah, too is short. that discontinued? Yeah. Oh man. No, but I still have the Parisian restaurant, which I've yet to build the Simpsons house. I've got enough Lego to keep me going for until the end of the year at the at the least. So I'm not too worried Good. about that stuff. But yeah, although I still do have a forty dollar credit with Lego. dot com, that I'm like, hmm, what stupid thing can I buy my for, for myself that's thir- uh, forty bucks on Lego? You could buy Annie a forty dollar gift certificate. Ah, that's true. <laughs> What was Just like if someone would buy you forty dollar gift certificate? What with it? What should they get you? I'm waiting for the second, the next wave of Chima figures to come out in January. Oh, that's not until January. We're gonna have we're gonna have bears, <laughs> and we're gonna have a beaver, and we're gonna have oh, it's gonna be so man. Good. That's gonna, gonna change more. the face of Benton. Benton's gonna be a different town come January. It's gonna be great. Do you not have a Benton Patreon yet? <laughs> You know what? If you do more stuff, if you, like, did photo essays on Tumblr and actually made that, like, a thing to entertain people with, people would subscribe to a Benton Patreon, I can guarantee. You know who it would be? It would be sweet friend of the podcast, Mirabai. That would be Mirabai. I don't know. If you kind of, like, essentially it would be, like, instead of, like, instead of, like, comics, it would be, like, a little fumetti thing where you could actually tell people the stories and the characters. Like, actually made that a thing that other, if you open up the, 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 the clubhouse to other people so they could see what, like, your stories and narratives of that world are. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's it's. Not, and the fact that you're not saying no out of hand oh, makes it. Yeah, you you don't think it's necessarily the worst <laughs> or craziest like idea I've ever turn. had. Either. I feel like such a turn. I know. I know. I know. I understand that. I'm just saying. It's, it's not it's, like I'm an artist creating art. It's I'm a 30 year old woman playing with toys. Help me buy my toys. <laughs> Annie, in this day and age, that is art. That makes you the new fucking Andy Warhol. 
You know what? I I like Andy. Ben is already way more interesting than anything Andy Warhol ever fucking did. <laughs> I don't know about that. All I have to do is see, Andy. All you have to do is say that Ben is a uh, critique of modern life or something like that, or uh, like you know, like endemic of our nostalgia for a days gone by. With also using nostalgic toys as some kind of like, someone would put Ben in it in as an art installation in a gallery. Somewhere. Also, animals because what are humans but creatures? Exactly. The fairy goes. And what else? Uh, what in else? other news, Majesco, the company that published Psychonauts and Cooking Mama, uh, and its indie label Midnight City, established a year ago, are rumored to be in deep shit. Uh, the sad. source on this is from, uh, what's his name from Fulbright, <laughs> who's tweeting about no. this. It is not actually. Uh, well, but... no, Gamasutra ha- ha- had a yeah. piece about it, and I saw that. Uh, oh, was his face was uh, was tweeting about this? Um, uh, Yanaman? Yeah, no, not not Yanaman. Uh, who's the guy who's in charge of Fulbright? Fulbright. Fulbright. Or, oh, Steve. Yeah, Steve. Steve Gaynor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't see Steve talking about it, but yeah, this is a bummer. I was really excited about Midnight City because they've been pushing to get indie labels. Uh, on or indie games on consoles. In fact, they released. They were the publisher behind um, uh, Costume Quest Two. They're putting all sorts of great little indie games on consoles, and that's something that I'm really excited. Man, that about. sucks. That also would seem to suggest that Costume Quest Two did not do that do that good. Well, at least not enough to save the, their bacon. I mean, Majesco almost entire... went under years ago after they published. Uh... Uh, Psychonauts, the only thing that saved them was Cooking Mama, so it sounds like I that's... I had no idea that Midnight City was even affiliated with Majesco, actually, which kind of surprised me when I boot, when I played Costume Quest that I kept seeing the Majesco name on it, because I was like, I didn't even know that Majesco... I thought that Majesco co-published it with Midnight City. I didn't know... I, I presume that Midnight City At least City according to Gama Sutra, like, um... like, yeah, Midnight City is Majesco's indie label, which is funny that, like, yeah. giant publishers have indie labels, but yeah. I think it's a smart idea to have, like, a small, scrappy team working on that sort of stuff. Uh, And basically, it's like, uh, who is uh, Devolver Digital? I presume they were just, like, another Devolver Digital. Like, just uh, some folks making it happen. But uh, that was... uh, I'm I'm sad, because we need... I feel like we need more people like that. People who are willing to be intermediaries between indies and these larger things. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's kind of been the tale of the last console generation or two, has been the death of all these kind of, like, B-team... Like kind of like smaller scale, like mid-sized publishers. It's good, yeah, well, you know. yeah. Well, these folks aren't even necessarily full old school publishers. It feels like, as much as they are essentially, for all intents and purposes, financial and logistical middleware. Yeah. Between you know these small teams and the, like they were they were behind bringing uh, Gone Home to consoles. So I wonder if that's going to happen now. Which so. you think they'll be able to like if they could stay alive just long enough to do that? That might give them a next a bit of a cash influx enough to like give them a little bit of breathing room. But yeah, Cooking Mama. No one cares about Cooking Mama anymore. Not that Cooking Mama was ever blew the doors off of anything, but I know from Majesco, supposedly that was a big, made enough money for them that essentially, like I said, like essentially saved them after Psychonauts Get the lights on. Uh, died. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, they're just, yeah. I like Majesco. They've, they've made some interesting creative choices over the last decade, and it sucked to see them go. And I really like the idea of Midnight City, and I'm sad. I hope that they're able to figure it out, because I think that's an important resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Banner Saga, speaking of indies, is coming to the PS4 next year. I forgot to look up the details of this, but, uh, it makes me even, <laughs> not, I, I almost pulled the trigger on the Steam version, but I hate playing games on the PC, and so I was like, man, mm-hmm. this, this just seems like the game that's inevitable It's gonna come to the PlayStation 4 eventually, and that, boom, there we go. 
Yeah, they um they announced a couple of indie titles for the PlayStation 4. Uh, Banner Saga was one of them. They also announced Kin and Torin, which are two games I'm not terribly familiar with. I didn't even hear but about they also that. Said, they also said that Armacrog is coming to PS4, what? and that is the, uh, I think it was Kickstarted. That was the Kickstarted adventure game from the team that did Neverhood. Like uh, the uh, the stop motion adventure game. It's the hell out of me. Oh, is Neverhood the one with like the weird little clay white guy from like the like a long yeah. time ago? Yeah. Is this also yeah. clay motion? And it's like the earthward, earthward Tim guy. Yeah, it's uh, Earthworm Tim. What is this? Doug to Naple? Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea that the, there's a sequel series called Earthworm Tim. <laughs> anyway, that's exciting. Have you heard of? I'm curious about. We haven't talked about this really, but uh, the PlayStation experience, have you heard about this? Yeah, so they're kind of doing their own, like, uh, is this happening like the same weekend that the the, the new fake video game awards are happening? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you put this on the news, but uh, Spike is not doing video game awards anymore. Yeah, I forgot to so put this on there. Did we, I can't remember if we talked about this. Was this on the podcast last week? Or I can't remember if we talked about this in real life off the show. But yeah, I, I, possibly both. I had no but idea that the VGAs were canceled this year and that Jeff Keighley was doing his own thing. Yeah, he's doing it out of pocket. It'll be interesting. But it's going to be at LA, in L.A. around the time that this PlayStation held event is going to be held in L.A. Or excuse me, in Vegas, I should say. Yeah, it sounds like kind of Sony-centric uh, packs, right? Well, it's well. apparently Microsoft is also going to be doing something around that time. Oh so God. it's interesting that, like, that this, the... I have to admit, there is a part... I'm going to be traveling in for business at that time. There's a part of You're me where my heart breaks. You're going to Vegas next month? No, Bill. I'm going to be traveling elsewhere, so I cannot go, is my point. Oh, okay. That was where I was going. Where are you going? So, I can tell you when we're not on a podcast that we're putting online. You're afraid we're someone's going to hunt you down in the wild. Oh, Bill. <laughs> um... Uh, th- those kids have been working on the remake of Raiders Lost Ark for the past 33 years finally finished after they scraped up $50,000 to build a flying wing set for the fist fight between Indy and the giant bald mechanic. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought they had finished this years ago when people were talking about it. So I guess they were still, they had some missing scenes. And the big one was the big Nazi airplane set that they, which I've seen parts of that movie like, parts of those movies are, like, filmed in a basement, like, against a sheet background. I'm kind of surprised that they even needed to spend $50,000 to build this plane instead of just, like, making, like, a $1,000 cardboard mock-up and blowing that up instead. Um, I haven't seen the footage from this scene, too. I don't know how, like, professional it's supposed to look like. It's funny, too, because everyone still refers to these kids as the kids who have been working on the remake of Raiders Lost Ark. But it works the fact that they've been working on it for 33 years means they have long stopped since being kids. But yeah. they have not stopped working on this thing, but it sounds like it's actually finished. So, yeah. yeah. And I guess Good they're now finally them. distributing their finished version of, which actually I should check the torrents just, just to see. Well, supposedly, so I guess this their, their remake of Raiders has been on YouTube, but it gets the sound gets muted for copyright reasons. So the only way you can yeah. get like official, I mean, they can't sell it because it's a remake of a copyrighted uh, work. But right. Like, I guess maybe the only reason you wait, wait, you could get it is like, yeah, maybe torrent or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, it's cool. Well, yeah. I'm glad to see. I mean, that's, if this is a geek we can review, that's one of the geekiest things we could ever report about. That's for damn sure. $50,000 yeah. on a goddamn flying wing. Yeah. Oh, money, my friend. And so we didn't talk too much about the new Jeff Keighley show. So do you know much more about Jeff Keighley's new video game award show? Nope. 
Ball. It's in Vegas. You can go see it if you want. He's paying for it himself. He met with the community people at Bethesda, so people are hoping they're going to announce Fallout 4. Yeah, I think that's, that's the thing that maybe you had mentioned last week where he had... Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that's how this whole... The, the conversation between you and I got started last week because you mentioned the Bethesda Fallout 4 thing. Um, yeah. It is funny that, like... I mean, the VGAs never meant anything because it really was the MTV Awards. Everyone, like, the VGAs try to present themselves as being the Oscars of video game stuff when that's... The Oscars, yeah. the whole point, the, the whole value of the Oscars is that that's people within the industry awarding other people within the industry. Video Game Awards is not that. Video Game Awards is the MTV Awards where it's whatever's the most popular. Yeah. Or like whatever yeah. the marketing people want it want stuff to win. That's what that's how those. Well, this are is this one's interesting because isn't doesn't he have like a panel of people prominent within the industry this time? I mean, yeah. I mean, he always they always said that about the VGAs too, and that never really quite worked out that way. I mean, the VGAs always has always was really torn between marketing and they're actually being people legitimately involved in games being involved in it, but like kind of butting heads with the marketing half of it too at the same time. Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. to see. It's obvious that the, like Microsoft and Sony have seen the value of having a giant, like Thanksgiving, early December marketing push for stuff that will maybe not coming out in their consoles this year, but for next year, must be a big boon to their hardware sales. Otherwise, they wouldn't be caring so much about having their own, yeah, their their own marketing stunts in place of the VGAs. So yeah, yeah um, which totally makes sense. Well, I mean, if you're if you're if you're thinking about buying a console this Christmas, if yeah. if there's if there's marketing stuff out there telling you about all the crazy shit that you're gonna be able to play next year too, I mean that's yeah that's mm -hmm. gonna do nothing, nothing but help sell hardware. So I'm glad to see that's working mm -hmm. out. But yeah, fall for I'm excited about it. The fact of the matter is that video games are garbage, but I love being excited about yeah! video games. And no, video love... games have been such a disappointment lately. I'm ready to get chuffed about some stuff. Yeah, and the VGAs were always ter terrible, but I always had a good time watching them. And they always had great trailers and shit. Like, they did their thing where, like, they really should have just called it the video game trailer, <laughs> like, yeah. awards. Not, like, because no one really cared about the awards. It's just a bunch of garbage in between announcements and trailers. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. But I, you know, I, it's like the Super Bowl where you're watching for the halftime special or something like that, you know? Yeah, I think Jeff Keighley's thing this year is on my birthday, and I'm like, man, I could have people over and maybe I'll just watch the his half-baked half new VGAs instead, yeah. <laughs> oh. That sounds pretty damn good, my friend. Uh, Glenn Larson, the guy who created Battlestar Galactica, Knight Rider, The Six Million Dollar Man, and a billion other terrible shows, including TV ripoffs of Butch Cassidy and This Thing, died this week not quite sure what he died of granted the dude is like a thousand years old so he probably died of died of the olds but yeah he yeah he when people think about terrible terrible uh tv shows from like the 70s and early 80s that's totally that that guy was like the pinnacle of like stupid especially like genre television bullshit where yeah, yeah and he, like aside from inventing Battlestar Galactic and stuff he was most notorious for essentially just like most of his tv shows are ripoffs of successful movies you know, yeah. Battlestar Galactica came out just a year or two after, you know, Star Wars. Uh, six million, like, all, like, so many of his movies, like, like I said, one of the things we talked about, like, one of his shows was called Alias Smith and Jones, which came out, like, the year after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid came out. He had, oh, yeah. He had all kinds of stuff. Like, that is, his whole career was based off of just, like, hey, I'm gonna take that and make that into a crappy TV show. But, man, uh, Ain't It Cool's link to the Butch Cassidy and Sundance, Sundance Kid TV show knockoff. The one of the guys is so obviously dressed like Paul Newman. 
And the other guy's so not even remotely at looking like anything like Robert Redford that it's like they put all their time and energy to try to make this one guy look like Paul Newman and just kind of gave up on the other guy. That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah. They he, ran out of time. They'd hurried it up. And I guess this guy also, uh, he wrote the theme song for Knight Rider, so I guess he was composer. Which the theme? I have no idea what the theme song to Knight Rider is. This is gonna be like night riding riding through the night. Man, no Knight Rider theme is. Oh my god, it's. I watched the shit out of that show as a kid. But yeah, no, it's funny going back. Knight Rider with the talking car. Yeah. It's what's his name from seventeen seventy six. Yeah. Yeah. Slash Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Yeah, which is funny because the first time watching 1776, I was like, oh my god, it's the car from Knight Rider trying to uh, build America. (laughs) And now I'm sure if I went back and watched Knight Rider, I'd be like, oh my god, it's John Adams stuck in a car. What the hell's wrong with this? (laughs) Uh, R.A. Montgomery, the author who invented the Choose Your Own Adventure books, also passed this week. Uh, Insert joke about how he chose to die this week. Did he choose page 12? Turn to page 12. He got eaten by spiders. <laughs> oh, you have nothing to say about games. this. Did you ever read uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. What were some good ones? Time. I can't remember any of them. I vaguely remember I had one that was like set in ancient Egypt. Yeah. Now, here's the it's important question. This is something I never thought of before until this week, until the news of his passing happened, and I started researching into this for the show notes this week. Uh, were they officially branded Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yes, they were not an off-brand game Because I didn't realize, yeah, so looking into this, I did not realize that Choose Your Own Adventure was a very specific brand of, also, I'd never heard of this term before, game books. Yeah. Um, what I always liked about, what I love about, I still do love about Choose Your Own Adventure books, is the aesthetic of the, the, the cover design. Yeah. There would always be like this richly painted montage of all the things that could happen to your character, and then the title in a very different specific font and like this arch, and then it would say a choose your own adventure book. Yeah. And were they numbered? I vaguely remember they were numbered. Like you could theor- I the think so sometimes, yeah. Being, uh, you could pick the hundreds of adventures. For Dylan's birthday a couple years ago, I think for her thirtieth birthday, her wife, uh, Katie, actually had me design a fake choose your your own adventure book for uh, Dylan's birthday. And a bunch of us wrote, like, little excerpts of... We essentially wrote one giant yeah. choose-your-own-adventure story for Dylan and that each of us, like, had a different chapter and stuff like that that we, you know, that that, that was super cool. But, um, yeah, so researching this, so, so choose-your-own-adventure was, yeah, that's a very specific brand. Uh, my deal, my exposure to choose-your-own-adventure stuff as a kid was uh, when I was sick, uh, I had... The, when I was a kid, I got sick with the chicken box for two weeks, and my dad went out and he bought me the entire series of Indiana Jones Choose Your, Your Own Adventure books. Uh, except me looking up this week to figure out what those were, turns out they were not technically Choose Your Own Adventure books. They were Find Your Fate trademark copyright <laughs> books that the Find Your Fate series was a total knockoff of Choose Your Own Adventure. And one of the primary writers for the Find Your Fate series was R.L. Stein. Really? Um, which is funny because I know a lot of people have nostalgia. You, people younger than me have a lot of nostalgia for R.L. Stein. I guess this writing for these Indiana Jones Choose Your Adventure books, well, Find Your Fate books, was one of the first things that R.L. Stein had really done. And so I didn't realize until looking this up now, I was like, oh, I have read R.L. Stein. I am nostalgic yeah. for some R.L. Stein stuff. 
That's pretty Because then I guess uh, a couple years ago when Arl Stunt, when the Goosebumps stuff really took off, not just a couple years ago, whenever that happened, they republished all these Choose Your Adventure Indiana Jones books that I loved as a kid. They republished them with the different covers now that essentially the R.L. Stein name was bigger than the Indiana Jones logo just to cash in on the yeah. whole Goosebumps thing, which I thought that yeah. was kind of funny too. So R.L. Stein is officially bigger than Indiana Jones. <laughs> Oh, man. But, and yeah. lastly, it's been reported that John Williams scored his first bit of mu- music for Star Wars in 10 years for the uh, Episode 7 teaser. Yeah, this just happened Ooh. yesterday. So, oh, Star Wars. There's, as of this morning, there's brand new Star Wars music in the universe. Uh, yeah, How excited I'll... does that make you feel, Bill? That's great news! It's like Christmas for Bill right there. Yeah, I'm assuming we're, we're probably going to hear that. That, that teaser's probably going to hit around Christmas. I don't know what the hell they're going to mm-hmm. attach it to, but um, man, it's Star Wars. I don't know, more Star Wars. Star Wars. This is slowly turning into this weekend Star Wars news podcast. But <laughs> anyway, we should uh, get out of here because yeah, Annie's got a house guest that she's waiting to go hang out with. So that's right, friends. This was the Boy Hattie Podcast. This is Bill so energetically wound up? Yeah, we are Boy Hattie Podcast. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah, on the Twitter. Podcast.com is a way you can contact us, though lately that's been filled with spam. Yeah, I noticed, saying, yeah. Hey, howdy, don't you want your your genitalia to be engorging? Are Click your here. pubic hairs getting in the way of your breakdancing? <laughs> Friends, we'll be back next week. Statistically, it's going to be a Dragon Age podcast. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the games Yeah, the next week in games that much, but yeah. I'm going to say this right now, Bill. How about we do a geek? Or, or we we do our catch up geek week in review, and then our Dragon Age talk. Yeah, that's going to gonna see... be our own central. You know what? We're gonna. It's pretty much like because you're not going to want to talk about anything but Dragon Age next week. So even if I come out and be like, "Yeah, I actually John Williams came to my house this week," you're going to be like, "Bill, <laughs> shut the fuck up," because I just. Bill, here's my honestly. This is my prediction. I'm going to feel. A close and emotional connection to Dragon Age Inquisition, and I won't want to talk about it. <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, I won't want to hear you shit on oh, it. <laughs> why did they put the sword button on the X button when it should be on the bumper button? Why? I don't understand. What? How, what's a thesaurus? Why am I playing as a sexy bull man? <laughs> Bill, this will be interesting because you haven't played any of the Dragon I Age games. I don't know right? anything about this universe. All I know, man, is that, that women is such... I know love this series. There's a sexy bull man. And this shit is so dense with lore. Like, I've played all the games, and even half times I'm like, what? I, I, huh? I'm hoping I just don't have a uh, Witcher 2 thing where I boot up this game, and I'm just like, this is, I could see why people are into this, but it just bounces off. Yeah, um, we'll, see. we'll see. It'll be interesting, but I'm I'm excited. This is this game means a lot to me. Foley and I are taking off not this week, but next week to actually play it. Okay. And it's, it's going to be, I'm looking forward uh, to it. You so don't much. care about Far Cry? Fuck no. Have you heard about the secret ending of Far Cry 4? I didn't watch the video, but I do think it's brilliant. The there's mechanics of it. Spoilers for Far Cry 4, but... Yeah, there's a, apparently a part in the opening of Far Cry 4 where you're held prisoner by the villain who walks out of the scene while your friends are being tortured. This is your chance to escape. But apparently if you just chill out for 15 minutes, the villain will show up and you can kill him. That's <laughs> why the credits the actually roll, too. It's not just like... 
Yeah, I mean, that's a baked in alternate ending to the game, which that is fucking hilarious. Uh, Again, this is not necessarily, supposedly the story and the characters are not that interesting, but because it is a different creative team, at at least in terms of the writing from the uh, Far Cry 3, uh, it's not quite so offensive. But yeah, I don't know, we'll see. Woof. All right, friends, we'll talk to y'all next week once we are engorged with video games. Hakuna Matata, we'll, guys, we'll see you guys in Dragon Age Land. <laughs> see you in Thedas. Is that with Thelos? Thedas. Thedas. T H E D A S. Gone to Thedas. It will be the sign that it will be on my front I'm going to play as the so. fattest, fattest, hairiest possible wizard. Goodbye forever, friends. You will never see me again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take care, guys. Bye, friends.